on today's show, we are getting to know Lee. But first, a word from today's sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. What is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help, or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and to start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chatting sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Getting to Know You Pod listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash getting the number two. No, the letter U, just like the pod's name. That's betterhelp.com slash getting to know you. Link in the pod's description. AndrePsyche.com is gone, but Andre Psyche, the man on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, is alive and thriving. You're going to want to go follow and message Andre. Why? Because he is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes poetry, music, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up. It's Andre Psyche the next time you're looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Listeners, listen up. Get 25% off your order at ShadyRays.com by using the promo code GETTING. Use GETTING, G-E-T-T-I-N-G, when checking out to get 25% off on the best sunglasses around. Shady Rays takes extreme pride in their multi-layered lens technology made for high visibility and strength to be shadow-resistant. And with free shipping and a lifetime lost or broken protection, why would you choose any other brand? Go get you a pair or two by going to ShadyRays.com, perusing their polarized sunglasses, and then using the promo code GETTING when you check out to save 25% on your order. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors for as little as $2 a month on our Patreon. That's right, this podcast has a Patreon, and you, dear listeners, can support our creative endeavors. Your money will go towards the cost of producing, distributing, and improving the quality of this podcast. Again, you can go to our Patreon, that link is in the description, and for as little as $2 a month, you can have a part in supporting the Getting to Know You Pod's mission of getting to know all sorts of new and interesting people. Two bucks a little too much? Well, here are three free ways to help. Push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to us on. Friend or follow the pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go to Apple. Write a review. These will cost nothing but your time will mean so much to the pod's growth. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. My cup 
and Lee Murphy is running for U.S. Congress to represent Delaware in 2022. You're about to get to know him, but while you're listening, you can check out gomurf.com for more info. That link will be in the description. Mr. Murphy, thank you so much for coming on, letting people get to know you. I really appreciate it. Well, Sean, it's my pleasure to be with you tonight and uh, talk about uh, issues that face all Delawareans and the world. I I gotta uh, I gotta be honest is like a cliche way to start, but I very much admire previous guests who have come on who are running for office and you right now to come on commit to a podcast that's a long form conversation with the time constraints right you're trying to maximize every minute to get your message out there but to come on and actually speak at length without interruption i think can be a very vulnerable thing and i think some people would be very intimidated by that by by the length that could get into i did i didn't send you any like preordained questions. It's going to be an organic conversation. And I just wanted to thank you and the other guests who have come on in the past um, for being willing to do that. I think that says a lot about um, you, just as an individual, your confidence. Well, 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 Sean, we're just having a conversation tonight. And, uh, you know, we just met and uh, uh, I, I like conversations and uh, I, I look at it as a uh, opportunity, uh, a relaxing opportunity to for people to to get to know me. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a really good way to look at it. Um, so I, the, I guess the obvious start point would be you want to rule the world and you're going to start with us Congress. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, just what, what got you into serving a little bit of an email back and forth. There was a line that said you'd been into almost like politics since like nine or like just the policies and history and stuff like that. And I thought that was interesting. Well, it, it is. I mean, I've I've been on this earth a, a little while, and uh, I got interested in politics way back when, when I was a kid. My my mom and dad were re- Republicans. Uh, I grew up in a small town in Salem County, New Jersey, Pensgrove, New Jersey. Uh, you know, my mom and dad lived through a depression, and they were fiscally very conservative. Uh, you know, we watched where every dollar went. And, uh, you know, in 1960, Richard Nixon ran against John F. Kennedy. And... Uh, my mom and dad were active in the local Republican Party, uh, and I, I got interested. I started putting bumper stickers on telephone poles, and uh, we, we were a, a Nixon household. And, uh, uh, you know, I met, met a lot of people, and uh, it just sparked my interest. Uh, John F. Kennedy uh, won that election, uh, and I think uh, that John F. Kennedy, uh, he really... Uh, energized my generation. Uh, he energized us into, you know, caring about our country. Uh, uh, it was a new generation of people, kids, young people. Uh, he, he was a great leader. He had a great sense of humor. Uh, he was very engaging. And I think, and from there I was hooked. And, um, you know, I worked on campaigns through my teenage years, uh, Republican and, and Democrats. Uh, um, Bobby Kennedy was an eight, another wonderful candidate in the late 60s that really stood for what a, a lot of young people really were looking for at that time in our history, which we were torn apart by race and, and by the Vietnam War. And um, then on to, you know, other great leaders, Ronald Reagan. And uh, uh, so I, I've been involved uh, quite a while. I, I first ran for office 
I ran for Newcastle County Council as a young man in 1984. Okay. Uh, I ran for the Delaware State Senate twice in 2000 and 2002. I ran for the State Senate, I mean the U.S. Uh, U.S. Congress uh, in 2018, 2020, and uh, we're going to go at it again here in 2022. Oh. So, and I do not mean this in any sort of slight. I the persistence is pretty. Um, is again another admirable quality. I I feel like if I ran and didn't get elected, I would be so sour. <laughs> I would be so bitter, so full of hate. I'd be like, I'm done. It's over. What keeps you running? Well, what keeps me running, and I guess uh, you know, I, I've always been involved in uh, my community. Uh, I was a school teacher. I was a coach. I was a civic association president. I was president of my church parish council. Um, and I did that because not only I had a family, obviously, at the time, and I cared about my kids. Now I really care about my grandkids. <laughs> you know, I've, I've always seen things that could be better. And uh, I've never sat on the sidelines. I've been a participant. Uh, I've gotten involved. And whether it be in my community or in my church, um, I've found that getting involved and making things better, getting involved is the only way. And I do have a love for this country, uh, for this state, and uh, I very much want to be part of the solution and uh, not the problem. And you mentioned persistence in politics. You know, many people, I've known a lot of candidates over the years that have run once, you never see them again. Um, they lose, they lose interest. One thing that I've learned, and we live in a Democrat state, I mean, we live in a blue state, um, that you really have to stay at it. And every campaign that I've run, I feel was successful. We didn't come out on top, but we climbed the mountain each time. And you've closed and the gap. I was looking at, sorry to cut you off, but I've looked at the numbers and like, I think you won Sussex, Newcastle was almost a toss up. And then Wilmington, which typically top heavy for the blues were top heavy, but I believe the gap, the percentage of votes um, closed, which I, again, like goes to, I guess emphasizes while well, I cut you off rudely, I'm sorry, but emphasizes your point of your persistence seems to be helping to close that gap because there's a little bit of name recognition. I think you, you have to build the name recognition and you, you, people, people want to really see somebody that really sticks to it. They want people like tenacity and, uh, and we have run great campaigns. I've run in some very democratic districts uh, for the state Senate, uh, for County council. And we're a very blue state right now. And the Democrats outregister us, but you know, I, I was an athlete in high school and college and growing up, I have a competitive nature. <laughs> and uh, I don't give up easily. And uh, uh, as long as I'm still screaming and kicking and, and moving, uh, uh, I want uh, to be a part of what's going on. And uh, it, this last election, we, we got 197,000 votes. Uh, and we won the machine ballots on election day, which I'm proud of. Uh, we had, unfortunately, we had a thing called mail-in ballots where... Uh, my opponent really skunked me, and uh, along with the other statewide candidates, we can talk about mail-in ballots later and how I feel about that. But uh, uh, we need 40,000 more votes to win statewide 
it sounds like a lot, uh, but uh, if we do our homework, target certain areas, and uh, we we can overcome that deficit and uh, get to fifty point one percent in twenty twenty two. But uh, the, the the cause right now is the most important thing, and uh, we need people that are going to stand up and, and and run. And and I, I I'm a spokesman for thousands of other people, and uh, I'm honored to be in that position where I can speak for other people, and uh, they want me to be that messenger. I, I'm such a numbers geek, and I, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, but I, that's where I, I like to hear the target-specific areas. When you're talking about 40,000 votes, for Lower Sussex, is that more of a can we grab the Dems in lower, or is it more of a, hey, there's so much to grab up north, more Wilmington-ish? Do we focus on particular issues that may apply to those, the people living there more so? Or well, we, you- we do have a strategy mapped out for this upcoming campaign, and we know exactly where we did well, where we didn't do well. We are disappointed in some areas, um, and uh, we want to follow that strategy. And you mentioned the different, we have Newcastle County, we have uh, Kent County, and we have Sussex County, three very different counties in uh, in Delaware. The demographics are different in each county. And uh, we we have to do better in Sussex, even though we won Sussex County, we have to do better in Sussex County. Uh, we lost Kent County, which was a, a disappointment. We have to win Kent County. And in Newcastle County, uh, we have to do I don't expect to win Newcastle County, but we have to do uh, better in uh, in Newcastle County. We have to get those forty thousand votes, and we're mapping out a strategy, uh, one voter at a time, to get those forty eight thousand votes to put us over the top. How big of a deal is it that it's not? Uh, um, do they call it a presidential election or general election when a president isn't being elected? There's an actual term for that election. It's an off-year ele- off election. Off-year election. How does that impact someone like you trying to close that gap? Is it, do you hope that less people turn out to vote? Because I think that's typically it. Or is it, man, we've really got to work to get more people out to vote? Well, my political instincts tell me that, uh, and historically speaking, that's a great question, um, that in off-year elections, the turnout's down. Right. And historically among Democrats, the voter turnout is down. Uh, and that's an advantage for me going into 2022. Now, the base on our side, and I've been campaigning now for two or three months, is excited. Uh, they're worked up, they're upset with what's going on in the country. Uh, independents are upset with what's going on uh, in the country. Uh, Democrats uh, don't have a lot to cheer about right now. And they're not really enthused with my opponent, and they're not enthused with the uh, current sitting president. So I see that as an advantage for me going into 2022. Uh, And also, my race for Congress, I will be at the top of the ticket. There's no governor. There's no U.S. senator. There's no president. There's no Biden. There's no Trump. It's going to be Lee Murphy for U.S. Congress versus Lisa Blunt Rochester, the incumbent. So that puts me in the spotlight at the top of the ticket. It's going to help me in terms of fundraising and uh, uh, and in terms of attention. So with decreased Democratic turnout, which I hope for, and uh, increased 
Republican turnout. Um, we got a shot. We got a shot. I hadn't, I didn't realize that it was like you're you're the you're the you're the draw. <laughs> I didn't realize and, that that yeah. would be a huge advantage. I would think just from a media opportunity because you would I would think papers new shows still have almost like those slotted of time to fill. And if they don't have as many candidates, they're going to have to fill it with what's going on, which would be you. Well, we, we have an angle here, Sean, that, uh, that I'm going to try to market is the fact that uh, I'm from Delaware. We have one United States congressman in Delaware, one. And uh, this is Joe Biden's home state. And uh, uh, if we win this election, it will send a strong message to Joe Biden. It will send a strong, if we take back the United States Congress, Republicans, uh, which I think we, we, we were capable of doing in 2022, uh, we can take back control of a large part of what's going on and what's not right right now in our, our, our country. And the other marketing, the other angle is that, uh, you know, I've known Joe Biden for four years. I worked on the railroad. I was a train conductor, train engineer. Joe Biden rode my train for years. He's a friend. Uh, I never voted for him, um, but we know each other very well. Uh, and he talks about riding the train all the time and to and from Washington. Well, I'm the same guy that worked that train. And uh, so I, I think we have a, a very unique angle that will garner uh, attention outside of Delaware. And we're gonna use that. We're gonna use that in this campaign. And uh, we'll see where that uh, takes us. But uh, I have a, an unusual connection to the president. And- uh, That's pretty crazy. Like you, you are literally like just schedule wise running the train that he would sometimes <laughs> ride or- well, well, I worked as I was. I worked on the railroad for 35 years. It's a job I really dearly loved. Uh, it was. Uh, uh, I was a conductor. I was a train engineer. Um, I, I I worked on the railroad for 35 years, and Joe would get on the train, of course, in Wilmington, and I'd be working the train primarily from Philadelphia to Washington or Philadelphia to New York, and every, we would catch each other, and we would. Uh, talk just like I talked to a lot of politicians on the train, you know, over the years, and uh, uh, we both we got to know each other. Uh, and um, as I said, I never voted for him, or never would vote for him. But uh, we're friends. Uh, we went to our granddaughter's basketball games. Uh, uh, we, if I needed a ride home from the train station at night, he'd give me a ride. If he needed a ride, I'd give him a, give him a ride. But. Uh, <laughs> Uh, those days are long since over and, right. <laughs> uh, the divide is real. Uh, and, uh, uh, I, uh, I, uh, as I said, uh, but we have a unique angle here. I want to use that, uh, and, and uh, maybe garner some attention, uh, outside of our, our, uh, our state, but, uh, I would love to win this election go to Washington as a Republican U.S. congressman from Delaware with the other Delaware guys sitting in the White House. And uh, I, I, I think that would be uh, a unique situation where uh, the guy that punched the president's ticket is sitting in Congress. <laughs> <laughs> what, why does the national attention, it's probably a stupid question, 
But why does the national attention matter? Does that just help you from like a negotiating or bargaining standpoint? Were you to be elected, give you like well, cachet and like running subcommittees? Well, the national attention in the, in the election campaign would uh, garner us, uh, you know, money funds from outside of Delaware okay. in terms of fundraising. And uh, uh, everybody's looking for an interesting story. And we're, we're approaching different media outlets right now. And, uh, you know, Congress is, uh, you know, I, I represent Delaware, but uh, there's 435 congressmen right. and women. Uh, we represent, we make decisions that uh, affect every citizen in the country. Yeah, no, it, it's, it blows my mind just trying to get like kids on a basketball team. I'll have 12 players and we have to decide what warm up shirt the kids want. And getting consensus from like 12 kids for a color and a logo is like impossible. And I'm the coach. I could just be like, dude, I'm picking it. It's white. We're going to put Viking horns on it. Done. 435 from the range that is the United States of America. And like when you really start thinking about it, I just don't know how things actually get done where you get a majority of votes on anything. Uh, in Washington? Yeah. In Congress? Yeah. Well, well, right now the Democrats control the House. And... Uh, uh, they vote pretty much strictly party line, at least they have up to this point. So they have a majority, uh, they win. Uh, Is that always so common, though? And I guess that's where I, I get a little confused with it. Is it. Are you expected to always just go with the party line? Do you get ostracized if the majority of Republicans are voting for a bill and you're like, you know what, I really don't feel this represents the constituents of my state? Well, uh, you know, you have to represent the constituents of your state. I think as a congressman, congressman or congresswoman, I mean, you you have to take in consideration what's best for your state. But at the same token, uh, there's a lot of issues that you really have to take in consideration what's best for the United States, all the states. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people are upset with uh, Congress. Their approval rating is like, what, 8%? Positive, <laughs> but really yet, but yet the the number of Congress people that get reelected is like ninety percent, and be, because uh, they have that influence to bring home the bacon, so to speak. And uh, uh, so, as much as people complain about Congress, uh, they really need to look at who's representing them and uh, um, see what's best uh, for their state, and not necessarily, you know, what they're bringing back home. But that's a, uh, for a challenger, that's, that's tough. It's a, it's a tough race. It's a tough nut to crack. Yeah. It, that's interesting. Cause I wonder, like, I don't think I could name specific projects that have come because Congress had voted for them through Delaware. I, I like um, the infrastructure bill. I know there's been articles about this money coming down, but I, I don't really like associate that with my congressional representation. I always thought the incumbent's real advantage was more from like a fundraising standpoint, where once you're in, I would imagine you would have lobbyists or greater access to funds, which allows you to have better website, more commercials, and more of a social media presence. Like, I just think like you'd have a larger entourage almost once you get elected. That's what I really thought the true advantage was. Yeah, let's break that down. You mentioned the infrastructure bill. And uh, also the, 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 the uh, you know, our congresswoman, we have one, and she votes on a bill, infrastructure bill, 
um, that really, in my opinion, has a lot of pork in it, has very little to do with roads and bridges. Uh, I mean, this affects uh, Delaware and affects the, 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 whole, the whole country also. Um, so it, it is important who your congressperson is in that respect. The other part as far as fundraising is interesting. Um, I just looked at the uh, FEC, uh, uh, Federal Electric Election Commission uh, financial reports, and I see how much money my uh, uh, current congresswoman has in versus what I've raised so far. And it's, uh, it's pretty intimidating if I, uh, she has uh, quite a bit in the bank, and uh, I have uh, very little at, at, this, at this point. But uh, that's part for the course for a challenger. Um, the incumbents, uh, hey, the contributors, the people that have special interests, they're going to fund the incumbent. Uh, they're not going to take a chance on a challenger. It's just uh, they want that incumbent to be uh, take care of their interests and their special interests in many cases. Right. So the incumbent uh, has many, many advantages and uh, uh, for a challenger. Hey, I'm up for the task. I had put out a little uh, Instagram poll story. I had said, hey, I'm having someone running for U.S. Congress. Anyone have questions? And I've spoken to people all across the country, and it's coming up in just conversations, but particularly some people had asked me to talk about this, and it is the special interests. And that's the number one vibe people get is special interests are just buying votes through their donations. You know, I'll just make up, um, I don't know if it's nice to make DuPont because DuPont's a Delaware company. DuPont gives you $100 million. You're no longer Lee, you're now DuPont. <laughs> and DuPont just gets to have you do whatever they want because now you're addicted to this money, you're addicted to this lifestyle, the things it brings. And that's how the majority of people I speak to in a couple of the questions, it, that's the disenfranchisement where they're like, they don't, they feel people go to Washington and then they're no longer people. They're they, they would almost be like they're just puppets for these corporations that are funding them. Not well, Sean, saying you are. Uh, I was trying to make like the story, you know. No, hey, hey, look, Sean, you're exactly right. What you just said, as we know, uh, many people go to Washington and make being in the United States Congress a lifetime career. Or like Joe Biden, 47 years uh, in, 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 in the Senate and vice president as president. You know, this, I wish we had term limits, but we don't have term limits. Uh, we have term limits for the president. But this, you know, the job of a congressman or a senator, in my, my mind, is not a lifetime position. And certainly, I'm a grandfather, and at this stage of my life, I'm not looking to make a fortune uh, by being a congressman. Uh, I have a great life. Uh, uh, and um certainly not going to be there for 20 or 30 or 40 years. We, we really, when these people like Mitch McConnell, uh, Joe Biden's, when these people get entrenched in, in Washington, D.C., and many others have been there for years and years and years and years, they really no longer represent you or me. They really represent the special interests that really secure their longevity um, in DC. And that is, that's a problem. That's a big problem. If you wanted to run for United States Congress, I'm running for the United States Congress. 
anybody should be able to run for office. But financially, 99% of the population's knocked out of the box right away. Can't do it. And uh, it's, uh, look, there's a lot of people in our world that have great ideas. And uh, uh, we should send uh, a variety of people to Congress and not the same ones year after year after year after year. Because it doesn't do our country any good. And I'm not a super history buff, <laughs> but like to me, I've always thought Congress was supposed to be the closest link to the people. Isn't that why the the elections are so often, and that's why the numbers are so large? So you're no longer thinking about the entire state of Texas. You're thinking about this one little region within Texas. So represent and give those people a voice who could be lost with the totality of a large state, right? So the, right. the limit thing to me, I've, I've always wondered about that. But then it's almost like saying that uh, Congress would vote to limit their own pensions. Like who's going to actually put that on the floor to be like, hey, man, let's take money from ourselves, from our future. Hey, I want to put myself out of a job after three terms. Vote for vote on this. Like it just it seems so impractical. I don't know how to make that happen. Sean, well, first of all, uh, it, it will probably never happen, and, and that's unfortunate. Uh, it takes a constitutional amendment to put term limits in effect for uh, Congress, and uh, the, the Congress has to act on that. So that that's not going to happen. I, I'm all in favor of it. I'm 100% in, in favor of it. But uh, it, it really makes, you know, people... Uh, President Trump called Washington D.C. a swamp, and he he really nailed it. It is it's a swamp, and uh, we have uh, not only the elected officials there for years and years and years, but we have these bureaucrats that make decisions that affect your life and my life, um, and they're there for they're there forever and ever and ever. Uh, it really needs to be broken up. It needs to be busted up. I think President Trump was on the right track, and uh, he exposed that for what it really is. And it, it doesn't do us uh, any good. But uh, term yeah. limits. Uh, yeah, the amendment, is that three quarters? How much, what percent of votes do you need to get a constitutional amendment? Do you happen to know? Well, I, I, I do know, but uh, it takes a two uh, sessions of Congress. I know that. It takes a certain percentage of, uh, of, of Congress to pass that legislation. Uh, to, to put a constitutional amendment into effect. Um, and it would be very, very, very tough to, to do that. Uh, but if I get elected to Congress, uh, I'll introduce it. <laughs> and then you'll have no friends. You're just sitting alone, eating lunch every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, hey, you know, I, you know, you know, Sean, I'm going to Congress. I have four grandkids. Uh, people, well, they're beautiful grandkids, and uh, yeah, I, I just, I just want to make life better uh, for all the grandkids in the world I, I, at this point. Uh, and uh, you know, special interests, uh, people, yeah. just so entrenched uh, in DC. It's, it's really, it's really obscene. It, well, I mean, again, I. I've single moms from Michigan, um, hemp farmers from Texas, hypnotists from California, family from Wisconsin. Like these are people that come on the pod because 
that's my whole thing is I just get to know people from all around the bartenders from Philly. Right. And when we get into politics, um, that's their biggest beef is they feel people get bought. And what I was wondering, you brought up the um, federal exchange commissions and I've never, I'm pretty guilty of this. I've never actually gone into websites to try to figure out who is giving money, how is money being given? And I've heard campaigns where it's like all of our donations, it might've been like a Bernie Sanders thing. Like I'm proud that I can't get more than $10 in a donation or something. So all that to kind of say, are there things, places people can go like websites and then specific things voters can look for in that website to see what corporations are funding particular candidates? Sure, you, like I did earlier this evening, uh, just go to the uh, FEC, Federal Election Commission. They have a website. Uh, just click on a candidate you want to see, and uh, the donations are all listed there and how much that particular candidate uh, has raised. And uh, it's there. It's public information. And is there anything – I was actually um, going to do it now while you are talking about it. Is there any way or trick where – things not hidden, but can be harder to find. So again, my terrible example of DuPont giving a hundred million dollars, would it literally say DuPont $100 million or would that, that size of a donation get broken up into like different names and DuPont would have all of its employees. Well, there the are money? different packs and there are different rules for packs. There are, are different rules. Corporations, the Supreme court ruled that, uh, you know, they can give, uh, untold amounts of money uh, to the particular uh, candidate uh, or campaigns. And these are usually, uh, this kind of financing is usually uh, disguised or, or uh, in in certain packs with certain names. Okay. Oh my gosh, Lee. I just looked up Lisa Blunt Rochester. She, <laughs> dude, that's amazing. She has... Currently six hundred twenty-four thousand dollars. I think you would be correct. Individual contributions at three fifty-three. Other committee contributions at two sixty-eight. A quarter of a million dollars from now. Do you would you know what other committee contributions would be? I'm sure uh, it's no, I don't. Somewhere. That is insane. Why do you need that much? Do you really need $600,000? I, I don't want you to say like you have to turn away money, but I'm like, how much do ads and billboards cost? Well, Sean, she's being bought and paid for by the people that want her in power. And that they know, they know how she votes. They, they count her as one. She's in like their column. And those people that are contributing large sums of money to her know exactly how she votes. And they, they know that uh, she will do what they want. Uh, she will do what they want. Uh, whatever they want her to do, they'll do. Uh, you know, we live usually for Congress. Uh, you need a million, two million, three million. There's races around the country where a congressional race can cost $20, 25000000 million. We have one... Uh, we have a unique situation in Delaware. Uh, the amount of money that I raised in the campaign in uh, 2020 was enough to do what we had to do to run a very effective campaign. And uh, 
it pales, I won't mention that some, but it pales in comparison to what the sitting congresswoman has raised. So we live in a state where people still want to meet their candidates, still want to see their candidates, right. uh, still door to door or in front of the supermarket. Uh, we, we have a unique situation. So if I lived in Texas or Pennsylvania or New Jersey, I'd have to be a millionaire to run for Congress. Uh, and I, I, of course, I wouldn't run for Congress. But here in Delaware, uh, the little guy still has a chance to, to, to knock down uh, Goliath. And uh, it's, gonna, it's tough, but we, I don't need $600,000 to beat Lisa Blunt Rochester. In fact, if I raise half of that, uh, we will have a very, very successful campaign. And I'm not, I don't know what I'm saying this for other than the stark difference. Um, I, I scrolled down to cash summary and I really would encourage listeners. And I, I can't believe I've not done this to just get a better wrap of my mind around where things are going. I, I do want to dig into this. There's a section at the bottom that says cash summary, ending cash on hand, the total amount of cash on hand that remains after the amount of cash on hand at the beginning of the reporting period is adjusted to add total receipts for the reporting period and subtract the total disbursements for the reporting period. So I read that as like the amount of cash you have left when stuff's kind of done. From your 2020 election, I mean this in no slight, I like this about you. You had $246 left. It seems like you spent, you went out firing your bullets. Do, did you happen to scroll down to see what Lisa has left? Uh, no, I didn't see that. Of course, she did not campaign in 2020. She uh, sat next to Joe Biden in her basement, in his basement. <laughs> it was not for 2020. I think it might have been at the end of, let me go back to the screen, at 20. This is 2022. Her cash and cash on hand for her. $1.2 million. There you go. What the... F Dude, <laughs> I think about... That blows my mind. Why, if you are running for Congress and representing people, especially in a state like... De one point two, do we even have a million people in Delaware? We like, don't have a million people. <laughs> and, and, and most of our contributions come from out of state. They don't come from in-state. I, I, I've got to talk to her and be like, what do you do with that much money, man? What do you do? How do you spend? It reminds me of Brewster's millions. We're just trying to like send it out. What do you possibly need that much money for in a state like Delaware to run? Well, we don't have a TV market here. Uh, you know, if you buy TV advertising in Delaware, it's just on the local cable uh, networks. Uh, and uh, the Philadelphia market, uh, somebody like her, she could buy advertising in the Philadelphia market, which is uh, cost prohibitive uh, to a candidate like myself. Uh, that just costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. To grab a lot of those Wilmington votes. Yeah, yeah. Top but, of Newcastle. We, yeah. So I, I've talked to a lot of people around the country that have run for Congress, that are running for Congress, and the money that they get, they have to raise is obscene. And uh, we're doing it the uh, old-fashioned way here in Delaware. And uh, being at the top of the ticket, the house race this year, I think will help me fundraise. Uh, but, uh, uh, and we'll need it. But as you said, we had 246 dollars left in the campaign. 
uh, just last time. And uh, we, we spent every dollar that we raised very effectively and in the best manner path yeah, to make it really pay off. To get 40% of the vote, I think she was at what, 50 Point seven, fifty-six, maybe. Um, she got fifty. We got forty-one. She got fifty-seven. Yeah, right. I mean, I'd like to just see that discrepancy. Wow. Yeah, it, I mean, we got more votes per dollar than, than she did. Think, think, think about like, the efficiency. Right? I'm huh? like, yeah, the efficiency of it. Oh yeah, yeah it was no comparison. There's no comparison. I'm just, yeah. God, I am blown away. I'm oh my God, Lee. She had $2 million in total receipts from 2020. She ended with, in 2020, she ended with $963,000 cash on hand. Now, like, I'm too ignorant to this to know what that means. But if I'm just a real basic accountant, banker, I'm like, why are you, if that money was contributed to you to be elected, why do you not spend it towards being elected? Why do you have almost half of that? Still on hand. Wow. That's well, a- she didn't spend. She didn't spend it in the campaign. As I said, she did not campaign in 2020, and uh, you know, because of mail-in ballots, because of COVID, because of Joe Biden at the top of the ticket, uh, she never got out of her basement or living room or dressing room or wherever <laughs> she was. But uh, uh, she didn't have to spend that money, and she still has that money. But let me tell you, she didn't get that money because of the job she's doing. Okay, you know, she got that money because people want to control her and they want her vote and they know how she will vote. And that money just is an insurance policy. And uh, that's what it's for. It's not she she wasn't like rewarded for like the great job she did because she's doing anything but for Delaware and the United States Congress. I have no idea. And this is just me talking personally. I had no idea if I had like a million dollars left in the bank. I think I would try to do anything I would have to do to keep that kind of lifestyle. How do you go back to not having that kind of bankroll? I don't know what I would do. It would well, corrupt me. It would she can't me. spend that. She can't buy a new house or a beach house with that money. I mean, you know, there are right? certain expend- certain rules that, I mean, she can't like just, uh, you know, spend it on her. Yeah, uh, on yourself. But I'd imagine you could probably get a really nice traveling, a mode of travel while you're campaigning, or you could have some really nice corporate like office furniture or something. You could have some really nice lunches, you know, take some really nice, um, I I don't know if it would be like not lobbying trips, but like, I'm going to go visit my constituents and I'm renting a beach house. I'm just speculating. But like in my head, that's how I would keep spending this money because the number is the beach house or headquarters. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? Like I'm just going to rent out for a year. It's my party headquarters. I'm going to get one per county. I'm going to get on the Delaware River. That that would be legal, Sean. That would be legal. That would be okay. That's what kills people. That's the people I talk to. They're like, that is so screwed up that that is able to be had because that's why they feel people who stay get bought. And she's, Sean, she's on the low end. Right? Okay. Right? Because she's one I mean, she's, in Delaware. <laughs> you, you should look at some other congressmen and U.S. senators. Oh, I don't want to. See their financial reports. Oh, but, gosh. It, you know, here we go. Lee Murphy, train conductor, engineer, train engineer, blue-collar guy, uh, father of three children, grandchildren, active in his community, coach, teacher, uh, uh, civic minded guy okay 
uh, with not a lot of money. Uh, you know, I worked hard. I have a pension. Not a lot of money. I'm not a millionaire running for Congress. You know, most people uh, either, a lot of people like that. Believe me, they, they, they like the fact that I'm like them and I'm actually running for Congress. Yeah. And I'm not a millionaire. Or I don't live in a certain zip code. Uh, you know, I don't have a, uh, you know, a beach house. I don't have, uh, uh, you know, I, I just live my life like everybody else does. They've worked hard, put kids through school. Uh, and, um, uh, but, uh, you know, when it comes to running for office, I don't have $1.2 million in the bank. Yeah, that Philly market, I, what you're saying about that Philly market, um, particular to Delaware, and I'm just trying to extrapolate that for like, place like New York City where you're trying to buy ad time. Like I can't wrap my head around it. And it's such a dis it's just such a disadvantage what you were saying earlier about anyone should be able to run, but ninety nine percent cannot. In in like just general terms. So if, if I wanted to being a nobody, like I have no name recognition, I have no donors, if I just wanted to put up my personal money to get my name in there, to go against you in the primary. Mm-hmm. Do you know about how much that would cost just to try to go against you in the primary? Uh, yeah, well, you first of all, you uh, it doesn't cost anything to file with the FEC, okay? Uh, but when it comes to the state, to get on the ballot, okay, the parties set the filing fee. Oh, in other okay. words, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, they set their filing fees. And uh, for the United States Congress, uh, last time it was $3,500. And they... It's based on a percentage of how much you make a year, okay, the salary of a congressman. And it's 30, say 30, 10% or whatever, $3,500. So first of all, you got to come up with $3,500. Uh, and it varies from office to office because different offices make different amounts of money. So you have to have that filing fee. And to the average person, an extra 3500 bucks is... Uh, oh, 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 you know, it's a chunk of money. Yeah, we saw so, it with the stimulus checks. People were waiting like crazy for $1,200 because that was a difference maker. Yeah, so the, the, the party does that for a couple of reasons. They want, they want serious candidates, and I, I, I can understand that. And uh, they don't want 100 candidates running for office. Um, but uh, the, party, the party sets that, that, that figure. Um, and, and, but that is just, that's just the very beginning. Just the name. And, and if you want to run for state office, uh, state rep, state senate, uh, it's a little bit less than that. But the filing fee is the first big fee that... Uh, so 3500 and then like, what's the next biggest expense for someone like you? Is it billboards? Is it media? Is it social media, TV time, well, it's, just the signs? It's, 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 it's I'll just encapsulated it. it's it's all media it's could be what you said social media billboards uh push cards everything you need to get your name out there is the next gigantic expense um and uh how you market yourself and uh and again the good thing about delaware and hopefully this year we don't have covid we don't have joe biden hopefully we don't have mail-in ballots uh, you know people like that contact with the candidate. And uh, my opponent, uh, she's not really one to, to meet the people. I can see why based on her record. But uh, I, I love that contact. I love being out there. We're, our campaign's in full force right now. I go to rallies, meetings, 
there's so much going on uh, statewide and nationally. Uh, people really are embracing the fact that I'm out there and meeting them face to face. And I have that going for me. And we can still do that in, in, in Delaware. So uh, to answer your question, uh, the media and the marketing of a candidate, it's a, it's a big expense. Yeah, I, the, the point, and I, I've said it too many times, I, I kind of want to move on, but just the discrepancy of local media versus like trying to get the big market where the votes are and the money you would need. If you're saying hundreds of thousands to get ad TV time and you're hoping that's effective with their reach. Um, I didn't even think about like even just flyers, <laughs> postcards, like good grief. Yeah, yeah, Sean, right now, you know, I went through this in 2020. Uh, uh, and right now we're putting our campaign together again. The, the, the idea of raising funds, that's my least favorite part of this whole thing. Uh, it has to be done. Yeah, I have clearly. to ask people for money. Um, but uh, I have credibility, a lot of credibility. I have a lot of name ID. And I, as I said earlier, we're at the top of the ticket. And I think that will pay off in terms of uh, contributions and fundraising, but it's a, uh, it's a steep mountain to climb and uh, I'll never match my opponent's uh, uh, funds. I, there's just no way uh, to do that, but uh, on the ground, uh, she won't be able to keep up. Right. Yeah. I, I want to, um, I almost want to say it was about 5% from 2020 that you had compared to her. And <laughs> when, if you look at that, I, I love, Again, because I'm a numbers guy, the per vote money spent to get per vote, the efficiency in that to me on your part, doing so much with so relatively little, such relative little, it's um, it's impressive. Congratulations you know, it, on that. Uh, I had no idea. Well, you, you talked to Sherry earlier. Sherry is uh, was my campaign manager, and uh, she was the uh, point person, and uh, uh, she ran a very very effective campaign. And, uh, you know, um, Sherry is also my uh, partner, my girlfriend. And if I had to, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of congressional candidates have to go out and hire somebody to do that job because it's a big job. It's a major job. Uh, a candidate cannot do it by himself. And uh, she did uh, an amazing job. But that, that is a key, key position mm. in anybody running for uh, uh, a statewide office yeah any business man me even just doing this podcast booking guests confirming doing the interviews then editing trying to market like organizing all that and then i mean for me it's a side a little more of a side hustle than congress would be for you but like that overwhelms me and it's i'm not trying to be elected in delaware i'm just trying to talk to people for a couple hours (laughs) and i get overwhelmed yeah uh, yeah it's it, it, it really, you know, it's your basketball coach. Uh, I'm an athlete, former athlete uh, coach. You know, in sports, we, we kind of start the game. We have a level playing field. But as you can tell in politics, running for Congress, uh, you know, uh, I'm running a 100-yard dash. and She's got a 50-yard uh, advantage on me. And board, not only so. does she have the 50-yard advantage, she's got like – a personal trainer that gave her a two hour massage beforehand. She's like hired Usain Bolt to give her individual lessons prior to, she may or may not have been able to pick a, the ref. I don't know, man. I'm just, she's got better like track shoes. You could just make that analogy so much in like a political cartoon. 
That's how I picture it. It looks to me like when you look at the money, that number should be such a political cartoon. The, the sports analogy, because people talk about equity all the time and we want to be so pro-equity. Like that, the, you would no think equity, the Democratic no Party, equity. yeah, right? And you're yeah. like, the Democratic Party is the party of equity, right? And that, that's a great oh, yeah, cause. Right. We want yeah. equity. Yeah. You look at those numbers, like maybe all the donations should be split by the parties. And like everyone, like so both people fundraise and then you just split it in half and everyone gets to spend the same amount. Maybe that would be more equitable or something like that, man. Sean, that, that, that's a great point. I, you know, like in the NFL, in the NFL, they have a salary cap. Okay. Each team gets to spend X amount of dollars on player salaries. Well, they really need a salary cap in politics. If you're running for Congress, U S Congress or the U S Senate or president or state rep, there should really be a, a salary cap for each yeah, office. Seriously. And, and if my opponent has a million dollars and I have a million dollars, okay, fair enough. Let's see how you spend it. Yeah, because now you have like equal, at least equal access and equal opportunity to the markets. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take that any day of the week because, uh, um, you know, for my million dollars, I'm going to get a lot more votes than she's going to get for her million. Yeah, that, but, but there needs to be something needs to be in line, man. Because that that to me, I, I'm just going to the equity. I'm looking at a sports political cartoon, and there's no way that that seems anywhere fair when the media and getting your name out there. It's all about name recognition and getting yourself out there. It's such an advantage, and if that advantage is bought with money through social media posts and. Facebook blitzes or whatever social media and through TV commercials and radio advertisements and through the purchasing of billboards. And maybe you like, what if you didn't have enough money to have color <laughs> and you got to choose between like color on the, on the signs or like 30 seconds of ads that should not be when the other person gets to have 20 different ways to spend. And someone in a lower position only has two ways to spend because they're limited financially. And then it's like, what does that have to do with your merits? <laughs> Nothing. It has everything to do with your finances that you're getting elected. It's terrible. You know, Sean, right. And in 2022, fortunately, it's going to come down to merits uh, based on what's going on in our state and in the country. I believe that the candidate, the incumbent, will be judged by the people since they're paying attention. They are paying attention this night. She'll be judged on her merits. Not how much money or how many billboards she has or TV commercials. She's going to be judged on her merits. Uh, and Lee Murphy will be judged on what he can bring to the table and do for the citizens of Delaware. And I'll, I will articulate that throughout this campaign. Uh, we are diametrically different. I mean, her stance on what's going on in my stance or definitely there's no, there's no middle uh, gray area there. So she can uh, spend that money and uh, any way she wants. Uh, um, and uh, she has a, she has a distinct advantage uh, being in office and uh, having that much money. And uh, some people would say I'm crazy to do what I'm doing. And uh, uh I, I don't see it that way. I, 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 I call I, it competitive. Like I, I can see it fires you up. Uh, like it, it seems like you're the type of dude, and I'm kind of this way as a coach. 
I love the underdog. And then when you win, it just feels so much better. <laughs> like if we've been it, you don't have the best players. You don't have the kid who can jump the highest, run the fastest, the tallest to get a ball, whatever. And then you're actually competitive with the other team. And then you see the other team respecting you, doubting themselves, and it gets tight. And then you take that energy and you close the game out and win. And the celebration, especially with kids, is just, it, it's, it's so fun. Second to uh, none. And I can see uh, that spirit in you. I, well, I was a coach. I, I, like you, I, you understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. Even with a, a playing field that's not level, uh, you know, I, I've been told in my lifetime that in sports that you can't do that. Uh, you won't win that game. Uh, you can't, uh, uh, you know, you, you can't score that touchdown or you can't, uh, you know, you, you hear you, you hear that throughout. Yeah, and, doubt. And, and, it's always been uh, uh, um, it's it's just been a motivating factor to me. And uh, as a coach, you know, teams that I've coached, uh, um, you know, people say, "Well, you're not, you're not, you know, you're not going to win that. You, you can't do that." You know, so I, I, uh, I, I I've heard it all before, and uh, I just let it go. Just go yeah, by it me. Phase you, right? How are you as a coach? Like me, I'm a pretty intense dude. I stay in the game. I'm chirping the whole time. It's very, I sweat like crazy. Like I'm drenched in my shirt. A basketball, I'll wear like a button-up shirt and a tie. And by the end, I'm, I'm drenched. And I'm yeah. shouting the whole time. I almost feel like my spirit is in the game with the kids. Other dudes are way more chill. They're way more in control. You know, like they don't want to interrupt. And I'm curious about how you are as a coach or how you were. <laughs> no, Sean, I, 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 like you, I, I, I was in 100%. And uh, whatever sport it was, on whatever level it was, uh, I was with my kids, with my players, and uh, after after I, I I was drained, I was drained, and uh, um, of course when you win, it feels better. Right. But uh, and there were some bitter losses, but uh, uh, like you, I was in it one hundred percent, gun ho, and uh, uh, it's it, it's. Athletics are great. It's a big part of my life, and I, I like your your life. And uh, there's there's nothing like that. And just to go back to where I've been in my life, uh, you know, I, I've run for office uh, before, and uh, uh, I, I never looked at the campaigns as a defeat. I looked as if I was building and building. And I was running for the right reasons, and uh, I'm at a point now. Uh, wherever I go in the state, people know me. People encourage me to run. They go, they're glad, really glad I'm running again in 2022. And, you know, politics is a game where you really have to build upon uh, what you did before. And uh, I haven't given up. And uh, I feel I am in a really good position uh, right now. And uh, people know who Lee Murphy is. And they know what he's made of. And uh, we have a chance here to grab the brass ring um, for the people of uh, Delaware. What? And I almost wanted to ask this when you were telling the story about your parents and the um, Nixon-Kennedy election. Someone my age, I turned 40 this summer, never really, I'm not super into politics. I more like the idea exercises of like what is right. What would be the right choice? Like the salary cap kind of a thing or a term limit. I like to explore those ideas. So I think of that election. I don't know what the 
principles differences between Nixon and Kennedy were. I just know that Kennedy won because he looked better on TV, <laughs> right? Like that, that, that's as simple as I go for it. So when you brought that story up, I'm curious why you and your family identified more with the Republicans when it seemed like the Kennedys were more like the uniters for the racial, racial issues, for the military, the wars that were going on. Yeah, that's just, going back to, you know, we always had active discussions at our dinner table. Uh, with my parents, my mom, my dad, and God bless them. They, they were amazing people. And uh, I wish they were here today to see what I'm doing today. But, uh, well, they were, they were always with me. But, you know, Kennedy Nixon, it was, uh, it was a contrast in styles. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, uh, you know, my, my parents, uh, you know, my dad was a World War II vet, you know, uh, Eisenhower was president, um, you know, the, the, the fiscal conservative. Nixon was the vice president under Eisenhower. And he was the next logical person for, for people like my mom and dad to, to vote for. Uh, but, you know, we would have uh, discussions at the dinner table. And I would watch John F. Kennedy on the campaign trail and, uh, you know, watch him on TV. And, uh, you know, he, he was inspirational. Uh, and and, and I, was, I was nine years old. And Nixon was flat and boring. And um, when, when Kennedy won, uh, uh, I, I was happy that he won. And, and he inspired, he, he inspired, he, he inspired me as a young man to, uh, to uh, love politics and, and be involved in, and to think that I could actually run uh, for, for office someday. Um, so uh, why not be a... Democrat. What's that? Why not go Democrat then? If like that's no, kind of the inspiration. I, I didn't. I didn't. We were still we, locally. We, we had Republican elected officials that did a great job. We had, we had Republican uh, congressman who was doing a great job. Uh, and 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 uh, you know, I, I still. My parents were conservative in a way that uh, uh, fiscally conservative and. You know, and, and then in 1964, it's interesting, Barry Goldwater ran for president. And my parents uh, supported Barry Goldwater. Uh, Barry Goldwater was uh, treated like Donald Trump was treated during Trump's campaign. Uh, of course, Barry Goldwater was uh, accused of, you know, he was going to blow up the world with uh, an atomic bomb. But Barry Goldwater was a physical conservative. He was a great conservative. Uh, and I remember going to school with Barry Goldwater stickers on my uh, notebook and kids saying, you know, chastising me. And uh, of course, Lyndon Johnson won that uh, race and uh, got us mired down in Vietnam. And uh, that was another horrible episode in our history. But uh, so, uh, no, uh, the, the Republican values, the conservative values really have stuck with me uh, throughout my lifetime. And of course, we had a great president, Ronald Reagan, um, and, uh, and then another, uh, great president and, and president, uh, president Trump. So my, my basic core values are conservative and believe me, my, my buddy, Joe Biden on the train and in uh, different times, you know, he used to put his arm around me and say, Oh, Lee, you gotta be a Democrat. You gotta come over to our side. You know, you, you could win an election in Delaware. <laughs> And I, I said, Joe. No, I said, Joe. No, I, I don't. I don't look at the world the way you do. And um, um, most my basic core values, I align myself more conservatively 
uh, certainly don't, uh, the, the Democratic Party, the party of John F. Kennedy, that party would be conservative today, and they, they yeah. would they would they would not be uh, aligning themselves with the uh, current. Uh, That's the other thing that I think is super interesting, where I feel like the Kennedy party, and again, super ignorant on my part, I feel like the Kennedy party is like 80% of America, where it's pretty financially conservative and socially liberal. Like, hey, we want to care for people. We just don't want to spend a ton of money and be in debt because that's not good. And like, you, you can't oversimplify things, but I feel like that should be oversimplified. Like, let's look out for people and provide services, get some equi- equality out there. And let's not just waste money doing things. <laughs> and I'm like, that's kind of what I always took away from Kennedy's um, campaign. Not only did it look good, but that was kind of the unifying message behind him. I, I think, and and you you just kind of really outline how I feel. I, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not by any means a hardcore conservative. I mean, you know, we have to take care of people in need in our country. We have to take care of people around the world and people that need help. We have to help those people. But uh, you know, we don't need a government that is all things to all people. That's not government's purpose. And uh, we need to limit the uh, reach of government uh, big time uh, uh, currently. But uh, certainly we have to care for people and um, we uh, have to be sensitive to people's needs. Uh, we can't give away the whole store as we're currently doing to, to, uh, to I quote, you know, try to help people. Um, we're, we're hurting people by, by giving uh, what we're giving away uh, during this COVID uh, pandemic. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that there's a mix there. Uh, we have to live within our means, and we help have to help our neighbors that uh, need help. Something, it, it, the stimulus checks and the, um, have come up often, and I've had several people on, like me, I received a stimulus check, and I felt guilty for a minute before I invested it in some stocks. I didn't lose my job, right? I didn't lose my benefits. My, my lifestyle was honestly not really impacted by COVID financially. My daughter was still able to uh, have like be watched, right? I didn't have to pay a bunch of extra money so that I could go to work so that she could be taken care of. And it was like weird to me that I got that check. And it definitely bettered my life because I was able to invest it in some airline stocks that have now doubled. <laughs> my $1,200 check is $2,400. I'm like, woo, what do I do next, right? But when I got that check, it made me think of like the minimum wage argument of going $15 an hour. And there was an article like CNBC today on, on Twitter. I was reading it about the cost of living. Like Delaware, $30,000 a year. You're kind of above the poverty line. Hawaii, you need like forty-five. But the federal government wants everybody to make $15 an hour for minimum wage, where it seems like in Arkansas, $15 an hour is a great salary. California, you're still screwed. New York City, you're still screwed. And mm-hmm. is that kind of an example where you're talking about the government almost having like the federally having too much reach because it's not like a one size fit all country solution? Well, it's definitely not a one size fits all solution. And you know, if you make, look, I lived in New York City in my lifetime. I've lived in New, New Orleans. I've lived here in Delaware uh, when I worked on the railroad. And uh, I made a, a pretty good wage uh, working on the railroad. Uh, but it didn't go very far when I lived in New York City. 
uh, it went a lot further when I lived in Delaware. Right. And it went even further when I lived uh, in Louisiana. So uh, what the government is trying to do with those payments, and I, I felt the same way when I received those payments. It's like, okay, our government's $28 trillion in debt. Uh, they're giving me this money. Uh, can I live without it? The, the answer was probably yes. Yeah, right. Uh, but, okay, uh, it is my money because I pay taxes. So, okay, I'll take it and uh, invest it or save it or, or, or do whatever. But in the overall scheme of things, which I guess most people, some people do, some people don't, it really, if you didn't need it, it really wasn't good for the country. And uh, to give, print money and give it away. Uh, uh, it's just, uh, it was, it's, it's a little bit over, uh, an overreach for, for, for government to, to do that. And like you said, one size does not fit all. And certainly people needed it. There were people that needed it. Yeah, the unemployed people, people, like the, some of the stories that I've heard for people, I, I know a bartender in Philadelphia, because she had to file taxes in Jersey one year, her unemployment is taking eight months because both state systems have to speak She's not going to get any unemployment from Jersey, but Jersey has to tell Pennsylvania she's not going to get any unemployment so that Pennsylvania can give her all of her check. And it's like 10 grand. And she's paying rent in the city in Philadelphia. She was working as a bartender in an airport and as a server in the vet or in Lincoln Financial. And like, she's like, it, it's been eight months. I call every two weeks. <laughs> I get the same answer. We're waiting. And like, she should have gotten my check if like the system would have been right or the unemployment should have been streamlined. Like that's where the effort should have been. And that's part of the things that when like a federal level, people get upset. Cause it's like, dude, why are you placating me with a $600 check or an extra, whatever, 300 for a child tax credit, like solve the larger problem. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. And it's, you know, I hate to say it, but uh, the people in charge, you know, they're, they're, they they know how to buy votes. It's, and, yeah, it was like a headline, right? Like a headline grab. Hey, we gave you twelve. Yeah, we we gave it. We gave it. And, and most people just wanted their job back. They just wanted to go back to work. Uh, most people uh, want want to work. They don't. I mean, right now we have a crisis in in uh, employment where business after business can't find people to work. Every every place I go into, there's a help wanted sign. I mean, people are still sitting at home. Uh, collecting the unemployment, you can't blame them. Uh, yeah, but if that's the system. It, it, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't do much for our, our economy, and it's hurting our economy. Where it could be rebounding even better, uh, it's it's not, and it puts businesses in a very. It's almost like governments working against uh, uh, capitalism. It, it's like they don't want it to to work. Yeah, I, and it, this is just me theorizing when when we talk about financially conservative the twelve hundred dollar check i so much would have rather seen that money go towards medicare for all or some sort of like canadian medical system my mother just had to get on she had and i always mess up she had medicaid and then she had to apply for Medicare, or I might have flipped those. One of them you get when you turn, I believe, 65. 65 is Medicare. Okay, so she had Medicare Part C. She needed to apply for Medicaid. Um, she doesn't really have any financial issues. But going through that process illuminated 
how terrible the system is and being in charge of the bills she got from breaking her hip, not having any other insurance. And I was threatened with a lawsuit because they were like, you're not financially helping. Literally the day they filed that paperwork, the day I emailed them saying, hey, I got a bill. What do you want me to do? And that day they filed a lawsuit against me to sue me to compensate for these bills that were racking up for this 65 year old lady who just has social security. She's living in a one bedroom trailer, you know, like, so I'm like, you, Suing can, you? yeah, Suing because you? I was the financial, um, I was like a power of attorney thing. Okay. So there, there's a whole bunch of ramifications. I email them <laughs> anyway, long story short, I called the lawyer that they tell me to. He's like, Oh yeah, they told me to drop it all because I was savvy enough when I got the bill to start a paper trail to be like, Hey, what do you want me to do? It clearly proves you're allegating, you're alleging that I don't want to pay. I'm emailing you the day you're filing paperwork asking you what you want me to do. All that to say, I would have rather a $1,200, all that money. Can we just get everybody? So if they break their hip and they're 65, they don't have 40 grand in debt. Could, could, could we figure out a way to maybe pay the hospitals so that they don't have to charge as much or like the, the, doesn't come down to me or that like I don't have to stay in my teaching job to have the great benefits that I do and maybe I would invest more into the podcast and start a business and I'd have better revenue then I would actually pay more taxes to the government <laughs> like shouldn't that be where the money goes versus hey Sean here's 1200 bucks enjoy no you, you I mean we, we we could talk about healthcare for uh, hours and how it's kind of just kind of pushed down the road and kick kick down the road but uh Certainly, uh, yeah, the, the, that money could have been used in uh, other areas where people really, really needed it. Is that, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the Medicare, and I don't know if Medicare for all is like the correct term. I don't know if socialist care, I don't know what it is, but basically like for everyone to have insurance and not have to have it be like car payment or be like mortgage payment amounts. To me, that would be a great thing. Is that something you think is helpful? Like the re how do you revamp or how do we get more people insured where they it actually costs them less? That, that's a great question. And as your congressman, I definitely gonna, I'm, I'm going to have to work on that. I, I just think that, number one, uh, I believe in the free market system. And I believe in uh, that competition drives down prices. And we need more competition uh, in the healthcare industry, uh, for sure. And whether that's prescription drugs or hospital stays or, or what we pay for operations, um, we we have a situation right here in Delaware where we Christiana Care has basically has a monopoly on healthcare. You uh, you look at a hospital. I'm sorry to cut you off, but just like to emphasize competition. Like I, I know some dude wanted to open a top golf franchise and he was like, yeah, I needed 2 million in cash. And like, <laughs> like he was like, you know what? Never mind. I think I'll open urban float instead, or I'll go open a dairy queen or a Chick-fil-A where it's 10 yeah. grand. And I yeah. say that to think about a hospital, if you wanted to add competition, not only the building, but the infrastructure, like how do you get competition? How do you insert competition to a, 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 pharmaceutical company that has 38 researcher labs going and all these patents. I, I, I again, I'll go back to like a competition, uh, uh, in Delaware. Okay. Um, you know, we have 
Christiana Care, basically. We have one of the highest per patient costs of any state. It might be the highest of any state in the country. Um, now, right up the road, we have Penn Medicine, one of the greatest medical uh, uh, facilities in, in the country. Uh, a lot of people go there for what they really need when they have important uh, medical conditions that need to be corrected. Well, you know, Penn Medicine can't come into Delaware and set up shop. Um, obviously, they have the resources, uh, the financial resources they could. Uh, and guess what? Uh, the cost of healthcare in Delaware would uh, go down per patient. Why can't they come to Delaware? Well, we have this thing called, and, and this is a state issue, it's called a certificate of need. And it's reviewed by the state legislature every year. And this certificate of need basically keeps Christiana Care uh, in, in a position where uh, their competition is little, if, if any. Uh, this is reviewed uh, by the state, state legislatures, uh, slaters, uh, state reps, state senators every year. Um, and uh, it's signed off, and uh, Christiana Care goes on their merry way. Uh, it's, a, it's a cozy arrangement, uh, but uh, it really not only costs, but the quality of health care is kept, uh, uh, kept at a you know, minimum, in my opinion, here in Delaware. So... Uh, this little arrangement um, doesn't benefit the citizens of Delaware in terms of the cost or the quality of health care. So a certificate of need, basically Delaware, the, the state senators and congresspeople. State reps. Or state reps. State reps. State house, state senate. Yeah. Okay. So the state reps are saying, hey, there's no need for Penn to come in here. Boom. Is that... I'm I'm just using Penn as an example. Oh, uh, no, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. But, like, the certificate of need is them saying we don't have a need for any other medical services? Oh, yeah, we're, we're covered, basically. We're covered. Christiana Care, you know, we, we're covered. That's terrible. We're good. Can the federal... So if you, if, you, if you wanted to open up a little mom-and-pop little hospital in the corner, <laughs> uh, not, not happening. Not, not going to happen. Not, okay. Can the federal government... Do anything about that? Should the federal government? Like, see, that's where the interesting contradiction, not on your part, just like in the philosophy and thought process. I want to limit the reach of government, right? From a federal level. I don't want to tell locally what to do. Almost like mask mandate kind of a thing, right? right? But at the same time, you hear something like that. And then you want to, as a person in Delaware, you want to go to the bigger system and be like, help me. <laughs> that's that's screwed up. It, it, it is. And this issue... Is a state issue, uh, and it's not a. Uh, what I can do as a congressman, and I certainly would do it, is bring attention to it. Uh, it's it would be out of my uh, uh, legislatively. I, I couldn't really do anything about that. Uh, that's up to the state legislators. Gotcha. But that makes sense then. But if you're drawing attention to it, then you would hope on the elections when state legislators are being elected. People would know, hey, we're endorsed by, or hey, look out for this candidate. They are in favor of this certificate of need kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. God, that's terrible. I, I had like, this is why I love doing the podcast. I had no idea that that is an example of how competition is limited in Dell. Are there other things, or is that basically the main thing that's limiting competition? Well, in, in terms of healthcare, that's what's limiting uh, competition, um, and. Uh, Again, we have one of the highest uh, electric power rate uh, uh, 
rates in, in, in the country by deals that were made with the state legislature in Bloom Energy um, many years ago, um, which is a contract that runs, I guess, for another 50 years, which adds uh, really a lot to each Delawarean's uh, electric bill, power bill every, uh, every month. That bill, I, I don't have the particulars on it, uh, but uh, it was done in, you know, between the state and Bloom Energy and citizens Delaware uh, lost out and uh, we don't have much choice in terms of power where we get it. And so again, from like a federal level, it's just getting in a position or are there any things legislatively that can be done in the U.S. Congress to maybe drive or incentivize states to bring in competition? Well, uh, as a, a United States Congress, uh, congressman, uh, I'm, I'm going to be an advocate for the state of Delaware. And just like President Trump brought businesses back from overseas uh, into this country, industry, manufacturing, uh, those jobs which came back and uh, I'm, I'm going to be that advocate uh, for, for Delaware and on a federal level. Now, in terms of uh, legislation, uh, which I would be involved in, would be doing away with unnecessary regulations, uh, lowering the, the tax rates, uh, providing tax incentives for businesses to relocate uh, in the United States, in particular Delaware. They're the kind of things that I would be involved in. And... Uh, to to bring real jobs, real uh, manufacturing, real work back to our state. And uh, as you know, right now, uh, I mean, there's not a lot of real real jobs in in, in the state in terms of manufacturing. Yeah, maybe some seasonal work with Amazon. <laughs> that seems to be yeah. a big deal. Um, I'm curious with uh, regulations. Are there particular things that you think are overly regulated currently? I think, you know, I, you know, I talk to a lot of small business people all the time, you know, where I have breakfast in the morning to where I buy my, uh, you know, my, my sporting goods store, uh, you know, these, uh, what, what they have to go through uh, here, uh, city level, uh, state level, county level, to, to just do business. Uh, it's, it's amazing that, that they can even make a profit. And what they had to go through with COVID here to get funding and to stay in business and deal with the state and the county and the city of Wilmington, I, I just uh, amazing. What they, I'm surprised oh, a lot of people went out of business. But uh, uh, regulation and on, a, on a national level, uh, certainly, uh, uh, you know, regula unnecessary regulations that, that really hamstring businesses from, uh, from doing what they could do. Um, uh, any and all, I I'm in favor of looking at and getting rid of. What's so cumbersome? Or what are some of these small businesses, like those three layers or the four layers? What actually is being, like... What, what's the paperwork? <laughs> no, I mean, I just, just keep it simple. I mean, if you have a business in Wilmington, you got to get, you got to get, you got to go through the city, then you got to go through the county, and then, you know, so you have to go to, through the state. You got to get a city license, you got to get a state license, 
Um, and you, Delaware is probably, some states, when a business wants to locate in your state, some states where you can go and they're business friendly, uh, you know, you got one stop and you can take care of the paperwork, all the legalese uh, is explained and you're done. And uh, here in Delaware, it's a, really an arduous process at best. And that's, that's what I've learned from a lot of small. That's so funny to hear because Delaware is like where everybody incorporates. Well, no, where everybody incorporates, right? Like Delaware is the oh, yeah. business city in America where well, everyone... everybody incorporates. Yeah. Yeah. But then for small businesses, it's cumbersome. We were a small state. It should be easy for people to come here and start a business. That's so ironic to me. That's amazingly ironic to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, how, so you streamline the process. Everything's in one building. Are there other regulatory things that should be changed? I, that would depend on, you know, with the, you know, we have one of the highest corporate tax rates in, in the country and, uh, uh, that's not good. And, uh, uh, you know, the current administration is wants to increase uh, taxes, personal and corporate. Uh, I go to Congress. Uh, I want to do the opposite. I want to incentivize people to start businesses on any scale, small, large, or big. Uh, that's to for government to put roadblocks in front of uh, entrepreneurs and, and people uh, that want to start businesses. It's just wrong. So, and talking with people, when they hear we want to lower corporate tax rates, the impression is corporate, no corporate, no big businesses pay taxes anyway. So now you want to give them tax breaks and like whatever you see, like a meme on Facebook and Bezos pays like $10 in taxes or Elon Musk, you know, pays $0. And that's how a lot of people take that. So what's the balance between having a tax rate that corporations need to pay something into taxes, but we want to incentivize and help you to mitigate your risk because opening a business, it's a lot of risk. It's a lot of risk. And, and, uh, I think we're talking about Elon Musk and we're talking about the Jeff Bezos of the world, but you know, what I'm talking about uh, the majority of people that open businesses, small, medium sized that do pay taxes and pay a lot of taxes. Um, the people on the other end, uh, uh, the big corporations, um, there's loopholes in our tax code, our tax laws. They use those loopholes, and they're there. They're put there by the United States Congress or the state legislature, and um, they've been lobbied. And uh, you know, these big companies uh, get many times what they uh, pay for in terms of campaign contributions, as we mentioned earlier. So the tax loopholes uh, really, in my opinion, have to, uh, have to be uh, uh, straightened out. And Are you? yeah, everybody, everybody should pay a fair share in tax, okay? But at the same time, um, uh, people that uh, they, they can't be stymied, they can't be uh, by, by, by uh, a, a Tax rates and, and, and that that really drive them away, and, and many times to, to other other countries. How does a corporate tax rate stymie a business? And again, maybe this is just me being real stupid, 
But is the corporate tax, if I open a business and I pay my corporate tax, am I paying other taxes? Like then if I pay myself a salary, am I also paying an income tax? Or does the corporate tax just disincentivize me from like reinvesting into the business? Why is the corporate tax rate matter? Yeah, I mean, that money is lost uh, when it's paid in taxes. Uh, it can't be reinvested. And uh, uh, most successful businesses want to reinvest their profits and their money. And uh, uh, if they have to pay that money to the government, it's, uh, it's a cost. And what's the, do you have like a number in your mind where you think would be an appropriate corporate tax rate? I, I want it to come down. Uh, I don't have a, a specific number in my mind. Um, income tax for you and me, uh, it's a crazy idea, but uh, I advocate uh, for a flat tax. It's been mentioned many times, uh, just like term limits, it may never happen because it's too easy <laughs> and too practical. Uh, why are you in favor of a flat tax for uh, income? I think it's fair. I think it's fair. It'll, it'll treat... The, the millionaire, just as it treats the uh, minimum, minimum wage worker at McDonald's, I, uh, they pay a certain percentage of that money. I think everybody should have skin in the game. If you make $20,000 or $20 million a year, uh, I think you need to have skin in the game. And uh, a percentage, a flat percentage, like uh, many people have said, uh, you should be able to do your income tax on a postcard. Yeah, it would make it way simpler, right? You've got your W-2, you figure out. Do away with the loopholes. Yeah, I guess I, that might actually, like, right, just straight be the benefit. Although then when the, so, well, it would be different, right? Income tax versus corporate tax. So would there also, yeah. yeah, right? It wouldn't be a flat tax. That's, that's a thing where I feel like my initial gut is, I don't know if that is fair, right? But it's kind of anti-capitalist at the same time. It's like, I don't know if someone making below poverty-ish, lower class, maybe middle class, should be paying as much taxes as someone who makes a ton of money. But then I start thinking, well, what do taxes do? They do roads. Well, aren't isn't everybody using the roads? Fire, police. Well, police go to their homes just like they go to your homes. And like, so maybe it is fair that it's just one flat rate. It's, and it's maybe it's yeah, yeah, right. And then maybe it's an incentive to want to continue to rise your, raise your income because you're not going to jump a tax bracket and go from, oh man, this year I got to pay 35% where if I would have stayed at whatever, 80 grand a year, I only pay 23%. Yeah, that's... Now, if you make $10,000 a year and your tax rate is at 10%, you pay the appropriate amount. If you make $10 million a year and you pay 10%, you, make, you pay the appropriate amount. Yeah, I, I feel like most people initially would be like, that's not fair. That's the millionaires getting over. But then I think if you no, no. think about it, it's like they're well, paying a heck of a lot more. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, they, they are paying right. They're clearly paying a lot more. But then also I just think of what do taxes go for? Like both can go to the library. Now, it would be super unfair if like the cops in the lower wage, if there's a if there's a location where the majority of people are paying or earning low income you don't want their services to be low income services you don't want their like police station to have one cop where the rich people police station has like 30 cops because that 10 percent 
buys a lot more. Yeah, well, we're talking about property taxes there that pay for police, uh, teachers, and, and fire. And things oh, like income taxes doesn't don't have a part of that. Uh, they probably when it, uh, the state income tax when it goes to the state and it's divvied up back to the communities. Yeah, that has that has a part. Okay. And of course, on the national level, it goes to national defense and uh, other federal programs. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. So then, see, that's that's difficult for me to keep track of with someone in a position like you because you are trying to represent Delaware, but there are state issues that really don't have much to do with you because you're more the federal bigger picture issue. That's right. But yeah. if, as a as a congressperson, if I can work with the president, work with the Congress, uh, and in the main job of Congress, the House of Representatives, is spending, and they decide and come up with spending bills. And those bills, based on tax revenue, okay, are important to everybody in the country. But I will be looking out for the citizens of Delaware. And each and every spending bill that comes before Congress uh, has a direct effect on each resident of our state. And would that be not saying you would be the pork, hey, because everybody always says put pork in the bill, there's a lot of pork in the bill. But that's how pork gets put in the bill, right? The representatives are trying to advocate for and bring funds back to their state, or am I thinking about that the wrong way? Oh no, you, you know, with this infrastructure bill that just uh, passed the Senate, unfortunately, and it's going to the House right now. And if I was in the House, I would vote against it, the one hundred percent. It's it's about one uh, third infrastructure, roads and bridges. Okay. And then everything else is pork. Okay, you're going to have everybody put something in there to help their state. Okay, everybody has a project here, airport here, uh, whatever. Uh, we have to find the spawning habits uh, habits of salmon in Washington State. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of crap in these bills. Uh, number one, an infrastructure bill should be strictly for infrastructure. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, these, uh, everything that's stuffed in into these bills is, is benefiting uh, somebody back home. And uh, uh, I, I just don't, uh, it's, it's not right. And uh, uh, it's not appropriate. And um, when the people hear about infrastructure, they think roads, bridges, trains, maybe, uh, yeah, even like the electric car state charging station. I just remember seeing the one little headline. I was like, oh, cool, a little electric car charging. I could get down with that for infrastructure. Oh, cool, you yeah, want to help be, out some schools. Yeah, but, but, but some of these other, uh, there's so much, you know, uh, you know, everything, you know, equity, uh, you know, uh, all these other things that are not even remotely uh, connected with infrastructure are in this godforsaken bill. Uh, so I, I, I would have to, well, first of all, I would, I, I mean, I would vote. Uh, against it, and um, I would be concerned with how that bill will supply better roads, bridges, railways, uh, charging stations, whatever for Delaware. I'm not going to concern myself with, you know, uh, um, uh, anything else. When that uh, the, the bill should be a bill, a clean bill. Period. Gotcha. So then it sounds like the, the balance between the, the quote unquote pork or whatever, the additional spending, the sneaky projects is 
if you want to spend a bunch of money on salmon, make it the animal research bill and call yes. it like it is. And this way people know that I can't say, hey, I voted for infrastructure. And then you think I voted for infrastructure as a constituent. But really, I just paid some guy to be on a boat and gave a bunch of money to a college when you thought I was building roads. Now, if you want me to give money to a guy on a boat and colleges, that's cool. We'll call it the guy on a boat and college bill. And now you know okay. where I stand okay. on that. I agree. Yeah. Why does that not happen, though? How come? <laughs> Do you know why that doesn't happen? Yeah, it's called. It's called. Uh, I scratch your back. Uh, you scratch my back, and uh, you know we'll all uh, we'll all walk out of here together with everything we want. Uh, and it basically hurts the American, uh, hurts the American taxpayer, the average American citizen. It just. Uh, it, it's it's not the way. We should be doing legislation. How do you go about building the relationships? Because there's got to be the quid pro quo, right? You're going to, if elected, you're going to have to concede something to get something. At least I've always heard that <laughs> in my businesses, partnerships. How do you balance it? How do I balance that? Well, uh, I, I do have a moral compass, okay? And uh, certainly uh, when things are presented, uh, uh, I have to make a decision whether I can accept what uh, my other legislator is uh, presenting to me. Um, and then, you know, keep my integrity in place and uh, make a decision and uh, uh, whether I can support what he's asking or, or, or not and uh, not compromise my my, my values can you and hopefully not compromise and hurt my state can you share a little bit about the moral compass or the values I would call them like pillars uh, well it, it really goes back to the, the way I was uh, raised and how my parents uh, mostly non-verbally uh, uh, taught me the how to, to live my life and uh, and that's, uh, first of all, being honest uh, 100% of the time, not not 98% of the time, and uh, uh, treating other people like uh, I would like to be treated. Um, uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I consider myself a Christian. I consider, you know, I, I don't really talk about that too much, but I consider myself uh, uh, morally, uh, in, in, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. Uh, that's just that's just part of me. I, I think uh, the way I've conducted my life, um, um, I don't anticipate changing my uh, habits and uh, my moral compass just because I get on the train and get out of Washington D.C. and sit in that big house. And uh, as I said, uh, I, I hey, I have a great life. I've had a great life. Um, I, I'm not looking at this as a, uh, you know, uh, going to Washington and uh, get a million-dollar book deal, and uh, you know, uh, then becoming a lobbyist. Or what, what, I'm not. That's it. I'm just. I want to go to Washington and uh, try to do some good things here. And uh, um, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, I. It, it's a tough question, right? Because it, it's it's so situational where you just have to. I don't, most people have a gut feel. You have some like moral, I just wasn't sure if there were some 
hard no's that you wanted to put out there or some always yeses that you wanted to put out there? That was all. No, no, I think, uh, you know, you know, you're a coach, I'm a coach, you're a teacher. Uh, look, we, we all have to get along with people. We all have to sometimes, you know, you know, I hate the word compromise, but we, we all have to, uh, uh, I mean, uh, we all have to get along. We all, but, but you know, what it, what's sorely lacking in Washington, we need people to lead. And, and you're a coach. You have to lead those young men. Um, you know, there, there's, uh, there, there's, there's, in my book, uh, uh, once you lose that, once you compromise yourself, uh, you know, as a coach, as a teacher, as a uh, anybody, uh, once you compromise yourself, uh, there's, you're not you're not worth. Yeah, not worth well, you lose going. the integrity, right? People just know they can oh. walk over you, they can play you, they can do yeah. whatever. Yeah. Do you, if you get elected, you always hear of presidents like first hundred days they want to get a bunch of stuff done. Does that happen for congressional people? Do people like you go in there with this plan and this checklist of things, or do you have to go in like? open-minded to see what the people who are already there are kind of doing and then like choose sides? Well, there's a, there's a, there's a uh, yeah, the first hundred days, I, I, I uh, that's interesting. Uh, I hope I have a hundred day honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> I hope my constituents back in Delaware aren't, uh, you know, ready to, to, uh, you know, hang me. But, uh, uh, there's there, one thing that you know has touched my life and touches a lot of people's lives is, and it's kind of been pushed into the background with COVID and everything else, is the uh, addiction problem, the uh, opioid drug addiction problem that really in Delaware, Delaware and across the country it's skyrocketing. Uh, again, I mean through COVID and and it, it, it's it's one of it's touched my family in a very personal way uh, tragically. Um, and uh, I, I think it's something that really deserves my attention when I go to the United States Congress. It's a problem that uh, affects so many individuals, but also affects their families. And uh, uh, it, it's, it's a crisis. And as I said, it's been pushed back into the corner with, with COVID. But uh, because of COVID, it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And uh, th that is something in my first 100 days I definitely want to work on in an effective uh, manner. Uh, throwing money at a problem uh, doesn't work, but uh, always. But um, um, uh, How did it affect your family? Uh, well, uh, you know, I'm helping raise my, right now, my uh, two grandkids and uh, I, I lost uh, my daughter who battled addiction uh, a good part of her adult life. Um, she did not pass from that, but she battled and battled and battled addiction for uh, a long time. And uh, it's, uh, it's a tragedy for a lot of people. It's a, it, it, it's a parent's worst nightmare. Right to lose a yeah. child before you go. I'm so sorry for your loss, it, sir. That's uh, yeah. It, it's uh, yeah. It's uh, it affects a lot of people, and it's still affecting uh, today. I mean, we 
have two beautiful grandkids, and luckily they have a lot of love in their life. Right. Uh, and um, it's, it's, uh, so that that's one area. I didn't mean to no. dwell too much on it. But no, to, I, that I, I've spoken. I, I've had counselors on. I've spoken to people who have battled addiction. Um, I've read. Um, actually, I got so interested. It was um, Dope Sick, and I forget the author's name. But she basically chronicled the pharmaceutical companies misrepresenting Percocets and the lobbying money and then just great perspectives about families battling addiction and trying and the changes that need to be made or how they could be helped. And I'm curious what you've learned, what things do you feel should have been done? What did you think was effective um, with your experience? Well, what's effective and what we don't have a lot of is long-term treatment. And long-term treatment that's affordable and readily available to the addict. Uh, Short-term treatment does not work. Um, And I speak from experience. Um, Can I just get the numbers? What would be the difference in, are we talking about like you stay somewhere for a week short-term versus long-term is... Minimum six uh, months. Are are there no, no, time uh, uh, when, I, when I say long term, I'm talking to a year to eighteen months to two years. Oh wow! And uh, my daughter got that treatment, and it worked. Uh, uh, but the short term treatment is is not uh, does really does not work. I mean, this is a this is something that you know long term treatment does work, and uh, it really needs to be uh, instituted where people can afford it and and. And it has to be uh, made available and uh, readily available uh, when they need it. Uh, it's in the stigma of addiction has to go away. It, these are not these are not bad people. Yeah. These are not, you know these are people that uh, need help and that are sick. And uh, it's costing more than just lives. It is. Uh, uh, well, it's draining on a family. I mean, so my mother um, and I. I I've shared this when she broke her hip, she was probably battling alcoholism. I personally got called out of work and this, I'm, I'm not trying to compare the, the loss, just more the cost. She would pass out in a store. I would have to stop work to go get her. She would then have to go to a hospital. I would have to call out of work to get her. If she were not in a long-term facility now, I don't know how she would be acting after a hip replacement. I'm her only child. You're taking someone like me out of a very productive position in society to now care for this person where if there is long-term that's affordable, I'm able to maintain my productivity and my mental peace because I know my mom tomorrow is not going to be out on the streets. I'm not going to get a call from a store saying, hey, Sean, your mom passed out again. Come get her. Mm-hmm. And that I went through that for a month and it mentally almost broke me. Uh-huh. I can't imagine that was part of the dope sick book. These people dealing with that for years on years with their children or their loved ones and the unsettledness, you can't live a life. Well, Sean, uh, yeah, I, 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 you make a great point. I'm sorry. I mean, what you went through there, that's, uh, that has repeated itself with many people. It's uh, so it's common. It's so opioids, drugs, alcohol, you know, uh, my daughter is probably the most inspirational person in my life, turned her life around um, after many years of battling addiction. And that thought of every day waking up, not knowing 
uh, where your daughter is or son, um, not knowing if they're going to be alive, uh, searching for them, uh, trying to find treatment. Uh, um, you know, your, your, your life is immersed in their life uh, to the point where you're just exhausted and it affects your life you can't in function. a lot of negative ways. And uh, it's terrible for it breaks families. It just breaks families because you can't sustain. It's very similar when I've spoken to people who have um, children with severe disabilities. The Sussex Consortium is down here. I speak with parents of severely autistic or students with autism often and the help they receive, they say, is life saving because if not, they, they would just be consumed. And it's it's great that they get that, but I've always thought of people battling addiction. Like we've taken, we seem like to taking away the stigma of if you have autism and you're severely, or if you're disabled in that way, like we help you, we have all these things in place to make you accepted in society, to help you flourish and support the family around you. And I, I just want to emphasize your point of, it seems like that is not happening with addiction and it can, it can be just as consuming. The family unit can't do anything. It, I mean, everybody has their cross to bear, but, uh, it, it, it is consuming and, uh, it's all consuming. And, uh, the, the, the guilt sometimes that you feel that as a parent, you're not doing enough, not doing enough, not doing enough. Um, uh, you know, that, that is an overwhelming uh, feeling. And then, of course, if you lose son or daughter, uh, that guilt uh, can be overwhelming. It can stay with you even though you weren't, you weren't the, the person that, uh, you know, uh, the other person made certain decisions. Uh, even though you, you feel the guilt, person. it's but, not but on it's you. Still, but it's still... Uh, a, a tough, a tough, it's still a tough thing to deal with. But, you know, there's a lot of talk about addiction treatment, but the, the main thing is the long-term care. And I got to be honest, you know, with the drugs, with the open border, southern border, with the fentanyl, with all these drugs that are coming into our country more than ever now, I mean, at uh, breakneck speed, they're just coming into the country. Um and not only drugs, but the child trafficking and the sex trafficking, we have to close that border. We have to secure that border. Um, it, it, it's, I can only believe the rise in the overdose deaths in this country, many due to COVID, but also with the open border that we have right now, where drugs are more and more readily available. Uh, uh, that 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 will be. Uh, we have to close the border. We have to secure the border. Period. I, I want to dive a little deeper into the long term treatment because this is something in my mind when I talk about when I think about let's support a middle class. Um, and I had um, a lady in Delaware. Um, she runs Zoe Ministries. Why is her name escaping me right now? But she's opening up a long-term treatment facility for um, survivors of sex trafficking, female survivors of sex trafficking, so that they can learn life skills, they can be coped. And I'm so sorry that I've forgotten her name. It's in Bridgeville, Delaware. She had bought a horse farm for five or six acres. Zoe Ministries is the name. I might have to I've, look it up. I've heard of it. I've okay. Heard. Yeah, she came on the podcast. She informed me about the sex trafficking. I mean, it's like 
it it's her dream to help people, right? It costs so much money. She almost didn't get this house and she's telling me this story and she's speaking to me about it. And I'm like, what great middle-class job opportunities for long-term counseling? Go to school, get a long-term counseling certificate. Let's pay you good wages. You're going to help your community. You're going to feel good about yourself because you're changing lives. It's almost like teaching. Most people want to live a comfortable life teaching. And the benefit is you get to make people's lives better. You feel great about yourself. It's philanthropic. And I, I hear you talking about this long-term treatment facilities. And in my mind, not only are we helping those in need, but talk about job creation. Why can't that be? Hopefully it's an industry that maybe goes away, but while it's here and there's a need, what great, solid, middle-class administrative jobs, counseling jobs, construction jobs, if need be. From a government standpoint, I just think that's such a home run of a legislation, of a thing to pass, enhance, get grants, fund that money, put my $1,200 COVID check towards that. I'm down with that. So that's why I want to stay on it a little bit. Do you have particulars you can share, things that should be changed that can help make that more of a realization or reality? Well, we, we, we did have a, a, we had a settlement recently here in Delaware with the, uh, uh, the states. Uh, certain states sued, uh, I don't know what pharmaceutical company exactly, but uh, there's a huge settlement of money that is coming to Delaware to attack uh, the opioid drug uh, problem. Um, I think it was Johnson & Johnson. I'm not sure. But anyway, um, same people, ironically, that make one of the vaccines. But, uh, right, I did. Uh, but they, you know, they were pushing opioids uh, a number of years ago. But anyway, you know, there's tax credits, there's grants. Uh, one group that I'm familiar with here in Delaware, it's called Firm Foundation. And they have programs to help addicts and they're, they're a great group, and they're uh, funding, and they're raising money, uh, they're trying, uh, uh, and there's other, other groups that uh, are, are, are some for-profit, some not-for-profit, that are actively uh, looking to start long-term care facilities, and uh, they all agree that that's what's needed. And yeah, it's going to be job creation, and people, counselors, and people that to help, uh, to help, um, you know, it's really an epidemic. It's an epidemic in, in, in the country uh, that, that really needs to be addressed. Uh, it really eats away at the uh, fiber of our, our country. It, it takes away from the productivity. It's of, rot. Uh, it's people. rot, man. Yeah. I'm and, sorry, and just it, emphasizing. It's kind of just robbing our country. And uh, it, it's, uh, you know, the, it, of not only productivity, but just robbing our country of, uh, of uh, really some really wonderful, wonderful people that need help. So if it's a for-profit, my head, again, I, would, I, I like to always try to think of situations, and I really can only compare it to my, the conundrum I was in with my mom's Medicare issue. So you have no money. You set up a Miller Trust, they take your social security check and you get to stay. They give you like 50 bucks a month. And I'm like, that's a pretty bad system. <laughs> she needs it. You want to have some financial freedom. Yes, maybe if she has some income, we can put money towards it, but she doesn't really have a ton of income. When I try to balance this in my head of for-profit long-term cares versus state, I don't know what would be better because I feel like the competition of for-profit means maybe they would provide 
better services. Maybe you're an entrepreneur, you want to invest in this, you want to make a difference, you deserve to reap those benefits. But then is it, if it's for profit, then I'm like, well, now it's going to cost money for people who need the treatment, they can't get it. So then do we mandate like insurance companies have to cover this? Do we provide almost like a voucher, income related? Hey, what were your taxes last year? You only make 20 grand. Oh oh my God, you need long-term care. Apply and the government's going to cover the cost. How do you bridge that gap with like the for-profit competition, but keeping the costs affordable? Well, that's a... I mean that is a that's a I mean that's a great question. I I, I just you know the, the short term care uh, gets state money right now. They get state money short term care facilities, um, and they're they're profit mostly for profit. Um, for the state to God, I have a, I have a hard time having. I'm just the government running anything effectively. I, I, just, <laughs> I, I just don't, I think that's, I worked for Amtrak for 35 years and they couldn't, they can't run, couldn't run anything. I, but, I feel like when you go for profit, there's just more accountability because the numbers matter and you want to make things more efficiently and it's easier when government, if it's not for yeah, profit. It's, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a difficult question because I know people in that recovery community are, uh, the 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 nonprofit versus the profit. There's a, a rift there, and and that's that's not good to start with. Uh, it really has to be a all for one, one for all kind of thing. And uh, I, I really I really have to talk to more people in the recovery community to get uh, uh, you know what's what what is going to work. And it might have to be a public-private kind of situation. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, going off of just reading the Dopesick book, my hope would be that if you need long-term care and there's a bed available, you're not turned away and it doesn't break you financially. I don't want you to lose a home. I don't want you to have to take out a second mortgage because now you're compromising now it's a tax. Now, like it's just a drain on your life when your life is already drained, and that's why I'm like curious. How can the government help? To me, it's like why can't it just be a sliding scale income based? I actually was dealing with a company, um, BetterHelp, who's a sponsor of the podcast. Um, they do sliding scale counseling costs, so it's virtual counseling. The lo- less money you make, you submit your W two, you show your income is this. They charge you a lower rate. Almost like mm-hmm. your flat tax. It's, it's, I guess, well, actually, it would be the opposite of a flat tax. <laughs> but I like that idea for long-term care. And I mm-hmm. feel like the, I, my worry is the government isn't going to make that process quick enough to have it happen. And I, I don't know. No, I, I, I understand what that sliding uh, scale is. I mean, I experienced that recently. I, I just got an uh, implant, tooth, and uh, – and uh, in the private sector, to get an implant, it costs about $5,000 for one tooth. So I told my dentist, I said, uh, hey, I can't, I can't afford five grand for one tooth. He said, well, you have an option. You go to, uh, to the Christianic Care Dental Clinic, and uh, they have a sliding scale based on your income, So, uh, which was a great uh, way to, to do it. And went in there and brought my W-2s and everything else. And... Uh, 
instead of paying five thousand uh, dollars, you know, I paid uh, you know a, a lot less uh, on that sliding scale. I, that's that's a good idea. Uh, what, what what an addiction people need when they need the care and want the care, they they have to have it. Yeah, they, they, it's not like come back next week. No, schedule an appointment. Hey, we'll see you in December. They're gone. They're right. ghosts. Yeah, I mean, uh, and the way it's currently set up with these thirty-day programs, uh, that's that's a waste. Of, that's a waste of money. That's a waste of money. Um, the, the, the help has to be there, and regardless of their financial situation, they need to get that help. Whether it's six months, year, eighteen months, it's got to be there for them. Period. Can you? How we get to that point? But it's, that's the only solution here. And. Going back to um, Zoe Ministries, Yolanda is her name. I, I wanted to say Yolanda. I, was, I had to look it up. I was so scared I was going to mispronounce it or something. Something she said was almost life-saving to her was she was able to apply for multi-year grants. So now she can budget. Now she can prove some sort of baseline of stability to then get some private investors and other stakeholders. Okay. And I'm curious. I'm not trying to like put you in a corner, but do you have in your mind, hey, Sean, you want to open up a long-term residential care treatment to help people overcome addiction. Sean, apply for this grant. I'll lock you in for five years where the government might be able to subsidize some of your costs or provide some income. You give me your construction bills so I know you're spending the money right. You're not putting it towards your five grand to make your teeth smile so you look good on the cover, Sean. We want to make sure you're like making beds, right? right. Is that something you'd be in favor of some long-term grant stability for places so that they wouldn't have to like apply every year or just hope that money would come back to them? Oh, no, I like the idea. And and right now, uh, a lot of organizations do have to hope each year. Or, uh, they have fundraisers. They have to, there's no solid, uh, uh, like long-term, it, it crushes their vision. It really does. Speaking with these people, they, they can't, they can't make a five-year plan because they're like, we don't know if we're going to have money next month. Right. Yeah, but no, I, the idea about grants, long-term grants and, and, uh, knowing that, uh, they're, they're going, going to be there and, uh, be able to treat people without having to worry about that. That really, yeah, that has to be put in place somehow. Yeah. That's uh, to me personally, I love, when people have a personal passion that they can then help others with. And then just hearing you speak about it, um, it's definitely needed. I've, I've had people battling addiction in my life and you're so right. When they finally commit to getting the help, you want to have options for them that moment, get them there that moment. You can't, um, can't dilly dally with that and say, man, hopefully next Tuesday, Brett's going to okay. leave. You can grab Brett's bed for 30 days. No, you, you, no, they might be gone in the next 24 hours. Um, yeah. What does the, um, and Lauren Witzke had come on maybe last year when she was running for Senate and she shared a little bit about her um, experience and I forget it was Christian based recovery. And I can't remember the name of the program itself. Now, this is where the weirdness in me, and feel free to correct me, separation of church and state, right? But can you give money, grants to faith-based organizations that are looking to heal or help addicts recover 
or is that like a no-no from a federal level? Well, you, I could really put you in touch with uh, my friend who heads up Firm Foundation. I think he could probably, uh, Zach Bibb, uh, he, he could really understand, uh, answer that question better than I could at, at this particular time. I know his organization is a faith-based uh, 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 organization that helps people in recovery, Firm Foundation. Got you. Yeah, because I've always been curious about that. Even with places like AA, um, you hear the serenity, so give yourself up to that higher power. Um, and there is there are elements of spirituality to it. And I wasn't sure if there's like legislation that limits federal government's ability to support them. With that's grants. a good question. I mean, that's a good question. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, everybody's not. Some people like that. Some people don't. Yeah. Well. It, it, just again, thinking out loud, like conundrum wise, like it's, so now we're going to limit ourselves to just for profit capitalists. If we don't support <laughs> faith-based recovery options, cause you're like, wow, it's a spiritual component. And if that fits and it works, I don't know. Like I'm like I, in my head, that I should think, be supported. I think where we are with addiction in this country right now and uh, the increasing overdose deaths, whatever works. Uh, uh, and, and again, uh, I'll support uh, what whatever works, and uh, uh, long-term treatment works. Uh, short-term treatment does not work. Why? Why do you think the long-term treatment is so much more effective? Well, the long once you commit yourself, uh, the long-term treatment in terms of addiction, and I don't want to get into too many technicalities here, but um, because people. Uh, you know, everybody's biological makeup is different, but the chemical changes in one's body through addiction many times take months or years to reverse themselves. And uh, that's just the physical part. The psychological, the other parts uh, take uh, equally as a long time to to change. Gotcha. Yeah, again, speaking with Yolanda from Zoe Ministries, that the second part of that, the just mental ramifications, the counseling aspect, not like you can kind of know if you break your foot, you're out six weeks, sprained ankle, three weeks. Like we have hard deadlines for physical healing. The mental healing is really different for everybody. And you don't know. I can't tell you, hey, you're going to get over your tragedy in three weeks, Lee. <laughs> You'll be good. We don't know. No, it, it, and as I said, my daughter's case, uh, unfortunately, she got her treatment uh, uh, inside of a prison. Uh, she was lucky to get that treatment. Uh, it lasted uh, 20 months. It, it was effective, and it turned her life uh, completely around 100%. Uh, and that's from my own personal experience uh, with I don't know, maybe 10, 30-day rehabs over a period of three or four years, which did not work at all. And then the one long-term, uh, unfortunately, incarceration um, uh, did work. And it was a, a beautiful program uh, separate from the uh, main uh, detention facility. Something a, a negative towards the 30-day treatments is it almost increases the addict's network, I've heard and been told, where you can meet other people who maybe they are trying to be in recovery, but when they slip, 
you now know them. You have another number to call. You have another connection. Did mm-hmm. am, am I ringing true with that in your experience? I, I just know they. Uh, I just know they never worked. Uh, uh, they never worked uh, for my daughter. It, it, it just. It was a waste of time and a waste of money, and uh, she told me that, and uh, just not not worth it. Gotcha. It's, it's there's no magic pill here. No, it, it it just takes attention, and um, I I think of and I've had so many people with passions to help people. I would really love the government to be in a position to support people who want to help make the community better. And they can have a good life. They're going to make the community's life better. And if we can figure out a way federally and state to support that, what a great use of tax revenue, at least in my mind, because it elevates. It's the water that rises all boats. Yeah, Sean, it does. And not only elevates, but uh, the cost of uh, addiction in this country is measured in a lot of ways in dollars and cents. And uh, the investment in long-term care for addicts, uh, that investment in terms of the damage addiction does to the greater society uh, that investment would it would be small to correct cor- correct uh, such a uh, huge problem um, yeah no it's yeah it you just you look at the ripples or you think about the ripples that go on and even just one EMT ride and the cost that that is associated with it's um I was thinking about that so often with my mother how how much she was just draining a system. She needed the help, but man, like it, I, I just, in my head, it was just dollar signs going every single time. It was, it was, um, it's very opening to me. Um, so what's another situation? I know you've been on for two hours. I'm sure you have a busy day tomorrow. I want to keep you on forever. I really do appreciate your time and the, the, the length oh, of which you're talking. Is there, if, and it doesn't have to be just one thing, but is there another issue that's a separator? That's a really pro Lee Murphy, hey, make sure you know I'm about this that you want listeners to know aside from the addiction. Well, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's, you know, there's, you know, a year ago, Sean, we were talking about issues in this country uh, in my campaign in 2020. It seems like at this particular time in our country, we're just trying to save our country um, to, to make it secure, um, to, 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 you know, uh, the, the divide, the, the, the divide that we have in our country right now, uh, we can't continue, we can't survive uh, that divide. We have the COVID, we have the mask mandate, we have the, the vaccine mandates, we have the, the, the racial uh, uh, divide in our country. Uh, there's a lot on the line right now. Uh, in terms of just keeping our country together. Uh, Certainly economic issues, bringing jobs to Delaware, uh, supporting the Second Amendment. Uh, uh, I am Uh, pro-life. You know, uh, I want to see fair and equitable uh, elections. Uh, You know, we, uh, there's a lot of uh, things that... uh, uh, you know, uh, that we, we, we need to address the addiction problem. All these things have kind of gotten pushed into the background, but, uh, uh, it was something you had brought up earlier and I didn't do a follow up cause I'm an aspiring podcast host and not a veteran one. When you'd spoken <laughs> about the mail-in 
ballots. You you did say that you'd wanted to talk about that. Um, what's what's the concern? Why can't I mail in my vote, Lee? Why is that not as good as you going? That's my God-given right to put a stamp on something. <laughs> well, Sean, as long as uh, we have a we have a program in this country that's been in effect years for years and years and years. It's called absentee ballots. Okay, and if you can't go to the poll, you can apply for an absentee ballot. There's a number of legitimate whatever reasons why you can vote absentee. You get the absentee ballot, you fill it out, you vote, you mail it back into the Department of Elections. Uh, with the absentee ballot, though, however, you do have to prove who you are, okay? That, that you live in such and such place and you have to sign it and you have to prove that it's you that's voting. Uh, we could have used this last year during COVID. Uh, Mail-in ballots were just randomly mailed out to everybody on voter lists in the state, whether you were dead, alive, lived in California or uh, Maine or Delaware. Uh, you know, I heard it during my campaign, a phone call after phone call after phone call of people, um, you know, that, that didn't live there, they were dead, whatever. Uh, I, you know, you, we, your, your vote is important. And it has to be you that are voting. And that vote has to be verified. And uh, uh, I, I, absentee ballots did not, you didn't have to verify who you were. You could have been anybody. Yeah. All you had to do was just mail it back in. I struggle to understand how the, to me it would be an identification issue, not a voter suppression issue, right? It, it, that's where I get lost when people start saying, if you're trying to limit our ability to mail in ballots, you're suppressing my vote. It's like, well, if we just want to make sure it's you, maybe we need better programs for you to have IDs. <laughs> maybe we need to make sure IDs are more affordable and easier to get, and then we'll take your vote. Well, it, the the number one, it, you know, what what the other. What the Democrats are advocate, advocating now, I, you know, I believe a voter ID. If you go to the airport, you need an ID. You go anywhere, you need an ID. There, to have an ID is not voter suppression. Yeah, I right. Mean, I, it's so hard for me to wrap my head around that. Unless like, yeah. unless it costs six thousand dollars to get an ID or something, then like, okay, maybe like economically you're trying to. But if you, it's, know, you, you get a voter ID at the DMV, you don't have to get a driver's license. Yeah, right. Yeah, ID. It's, I mean, uh, people need an, a, a picture ID to do just about anything today. I mean, you know, you get the vaccine, you got to have a voter ID. Yeah, I mean, you, so, you know, a picture ID is not voter suppression. Uh, absentee ballots uh, are readily available to everybody. Uh, Mail-in ballots, uh, if you, mail-in ballots are fine. Uh, if you can prove who you are and verify who you are, you know, it's fine. But we already had that in place. Absentee ballots are basically mail-in ballots with verification. Right. Okay. Um, so it, the, the voter suppression uh, idea is just based on uh, uh, things that aren't true. And uh, I think more 
And what I want, and I think what everybody wants, I don't care what party you are, you want your vote to count. Yeah. And you don't want your vote to count. And uh, there's 20 votes over here that God knows where they came from. That nullifies 20 legitimate votes. I, 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 I just... I just have a problem with uh, people on the other side politicizing uh, our, the way we've done elections for hundreds of years in this country. I, I, I just, uh, it's, it's only to, to ensure, uh, you know, their re-election and re-election and re-election. Right? There's a bill before the Congress right now, H.R. 1, which is totally against our Constitution. Uh, H.R. 1 basically federalizes uh, elections. Uh, the federal government would have full control of all elections. The states guaranteed under our U.S. Constitution, they have the rights to institute their own election policies and procedures in the Constitution. But the federal bill would gut states from having that right. It would be unconstitutional and challenged in the court. But what H.R. 1 uh, does, and my opponent, the incumbent, supports it, it federalizes elections, strips the states of their rights to conduct elections, uh, mail-in ballots with no verification, early voting, and election day registration, uh, among uh, other things. It's a total, what? it's illegal, first of all, and would ensure, would literally ensure that there, there would never be another Republican uh, president elected in the history of this country. Why would it ensure that? Well, I, it would just make it so one-sided uh, that, well, I have to believe that uh, uh, Republicans like myself, are for, for, are for uh, fair and honest uh, elections. And the Democratic Party, who sponsored this bill, H.R. 1, um, and who we just went through an election that, quite frankly, was not 100% uh, uh, honest. It just seemed like such a cluster. It just seemed like such a cluster, a logistical nightmare. And I felt and so bad for the volunteers. Irregularities. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, how do you figure out all these I don't know, things just popping up? Signatures, do they match? Do we accept it? I was, I got overwhelmed. I couldn't imagine on a federal level. Well, look, you know, that. you know, I'm like, I, I, in my election in 2020, I won the, I won the uh, machine votes on election day. I, I won those votes. On uh, the mail-in ballots, I lost by uh, 80,000. So, go figure. I, I may have lost the uh, mail-in ballots. Uh, I'm not saying I would have won the election without mail-in ballots, but uh, there were sure a lot of uh, problems, and there were a lot of ballots that weren't accounted so, for, and uh, we can't have that again. And How uh, come Republicans you know, can't get as many mail-in ballots? Why is it that it seemed, mail-in ballots seem to favor Democrats? I think the, the Democrats had a plan, and uh, the, uh, they orchestrated uh, the mail-in ballot uh, plan because of COVID. Uh, it worked, um, but uh, 
it wasn't uh, it wasn't by any means airtight, and uh, there were a lot of ballots that really were not legitimate in in that election, and the Republicans uh, uh, did not use mail-in ballots to their advantage. We well, yeah, are right. Like Trump, Trump was very pro-go, stand in line, like civic duty yeah. thing. Yeah. But why yeah. can't why can't they that script just get flipped for twenty two and the Republicans blast email or blast mail mail in ballots to everyone registered? Is it just a numbers game that there are so many more Democrats that are registered throughout the country than Republicans? No, I just think the integrity of the election. It, it, I, I, my, my, this is not a partisan issue to me. It's it's more about the integrity of our elections. I just people need to prove who they are and show an ID when they go to vote. Gotcha. And we have uh, that. That's that's it. Yeah, that's it. I believe every single vote counts. Period. And there's no room for mail-in ballots. There's there's no room for it. Period. Again, ever. <laughs> I I do kind of like that because honestly, like either in my mom's situation, like I could uh, apparently I didn't get to see it. But I could have like gone, I was in charge of her mail. I could have cast her own vote for her. She could have been Trump and I've been like, sorry, you're Biden. Click, mailed in. Like, I think that could have very Guess easily. Guess what? That happened. That happened. Right? It seems like it could have that easily happened. happened. Or if uh, I hate my neighbor, I like, I know they're away for the weekend. Let me go grab it and like send it in. Like, you could think of all sorts of weird little scenarios to just do yeah. that. Easy. You, had, you had said something that was interesting that I didn't know about. Same day registration. Can you Election currently... Day. Can I, if I'm not registered to vote, can I not currently vote? If like, what's wrong with me showing up on election day and being like, hey, I didn't never registered, but I'm Sean, I live in Delaware. I want to register to vote now. Can I do that or can I not? No, you no, you can't do that now. Yeah. There's a certain deadlines where you have to register to vote. Is that bad? Why can't uh, I just show up? Like, oh, dude, I forgot. Hey, here's my ID. I live right here in Georgetown. I'd like to vote. I think, I think it could cause a uh, mass confusion on uh, election day. Somebody, I just don't, I think the, the voter rolls have to be set uh, in advance of election day. And uh, I think people uh, need to, uh, if they, look, uh, voting's a, a right uh, in this country. And I think people need to take time to uh, register and vote. The voter and same day election, I just think it would be uh, chaos. On, uh, on election day, if, if you had thousands of people rich, trying to register to vote on election day, I just think it would be chaos. Gotcha. And I guess it would almost be like a logistical thing too. Like you've you're preparing because you know how many people are registered to come in, and you can organize volunteers accordingly. You're counting votes. You want to secure that. You don't also want to have to like validate identification, fill in those forms. Yeah. On top. Yeah. Of. I mean, it'd be ripe uh, for fraud. Yeah. I mean. You could have a busload of people get, uh, going to a polling place with IDs and say, oh, I, I'm going to vote. Oh, and then, oh, that's, yeah, I didn't even think about that. And then maybe, like, I could try to go 30 minutes down the road, vote yeah. again, see what happens. Or if I get turned away, now it's like your voter suppression. And it's like, sorry, you're just in the wrong district. You know, Sean, there's no, look, I've run for office now uh, uh, a few times, uh, and I've worked the polls many, many, many times. Um, uh, there's no voter suppression. There's no voter suppression here. You know, I, I, uh, I, I, I 
just uh, I just have not seen it in my lifetime. I, I I think that not having the same day registration, I do think that does make sense because there is enough going on, and if people have to go through the logistics of that, imagine how much longer voting would take. If not only it, it takes long enough for me to cast my vote, now if I have to actually register, that has to be validated. I think you're, I don't know, that does kind of make sense where it's like, hey man, if you cared enough to vote, care enough to register beforehand so that we can make sure we yes. got everything in place for you. I think that's yes. pretty fair. I do well, too. Um, Mr. Murphy, is there anything um, else ending wise that you'd like to have a topic out there that you think are important for people to know, a separating thing or just another passion of yours that uh, you'd like to end the podcast with? Well, uh, uh, I just you know I just like to let everybody listening that uh, you know uh, Lee Murphy is a uh, guy that uh, um, just like any other hardworking person in the state, somebody that's raised a family um, and uh, worked hard to just you know give his family what he needs, um, and 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 somebody that wants to. Been act somebody that's been active in their community over the years, and, and now at this stage of my life, I, I really want to give back and, and help make uh, Delaware a better state and help the residents of the state and uh, kind of resurrect Delaware and, and make it great again. Uh, we are, after all, the first state, and uh, we should be in that position uh, at some point in our future once again. Cool. And my website is gomurf.com. Yep, and that will definitely be in the description of the podcast. Um, Lee, thank you so much. I know I have this weird way of asking questions because I kind of like think aloud and I put all these scenarios in it. And I that can be very hard for people running for office to deal with. <laughs> so thank you for dealing with that. Thank you for giving up almost two and a half hours of your time for people listening just to get an idea of what you're about, where you stand on issues. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's my pleasure, Sean. I've enjoyed the, the conversation. One final thing, as your congressman, I will be accessible. I will be available, and I will respond, and uh, I will be accountable to the people of uh, our state. I, it's interesting, because every time I have um, a person running for office, I offer the same opportunity to the opponent, especially from the other party. And um, I had some people talking smack to me, being like, Sean, you're just, you're nothing but a GOP guy. Like, I didn't realize you were so Republican. I thought you were a little more liberal. You had all these Republicans come on. I'm like, well, they were the ones that answered and gave the time to me that said something. It's not like I didn't email other candidates and drop, give them the same information. There's one reason I had Julianne Murray come on. There's another reason that Carney didn't. She answered her email. His staff didn't, you know, and what you said there is um something, Miss Blunt. I, I'll email her, or she's been emailed. Opportunity, come on, it'd be great. Like, dude, I'd love. It'd be real interesting to be like, help me understand. What do you do with two million dollars? <laughs> like, I don't want to gotcha. I just want to understand what you're doing with it. Um. So yeah, that's a that's a good point to you that you were very accessible. You were very giving with your time, and um, that something to be said for that because not everybody is. If you ever do that interview with my opponent, I'll definitely be watching for sure. I'd like to know. I'd like to know what she does with two. Uh, she probably gets her hair done a lot. I'm not sure. 
I almost said it with your teeth. I was like, you know, that sounds like a can or a campaign expense, right? Don't you need to smile for the campaign? <laughs> Just put the five grand on that. <laughs> but there's something to be said for the people that respond to you, Sean. Yeah. Uh, and, and for far too long in this state, uh, our elected officials have not been uh, accountable to the people and um, much, much uh, too comfortable. And it's time to upset the apple cart. I agree. I like it. Well, Mr. Murphy, thank you again for your time, thank for you. coming on, and for uh, being accessible. Appreciate it. Good luck going thank forward. Thank you, Bye-bye. On the subject I like most, to know Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Listeners, search him up. It's Andre Psyche, P-S-Y-C-H-E, on social media. Give my man a follow, just for the fuck of it. Thanks to BetterHelp for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about by going to betterhelp.com slash getting, the number two, no, the letter U. And you, dear listeners, are going to get 10% off your first month. Remember, the link you're looking for is in the description. Thanks to Shady Rays for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Listeners, the promo code getting will get you 25% off your purchase at ShadyRays.com. That's promo code GETTING, G-E-T-T-I-N-G. And if you just want to give us some straight cash money, shout out Randy Moss, you can go to our Patreon and support the pod for as little as $2 a month if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. If you have not already, please friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. Later.